You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey there, everybody. This is Michael Govier from the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Before we start the show, I just want to make a quick announcement. Well, two. First off, I was slightly hot on this show today, so there's some popping during the show, and I'm really sorry about that. We had made some audio adjustments the other night, which we learned from, and they were very beneficial to us, but apparently I had more adjustments to make. So I apologize for the cracking that happens throughout the show on my end. It won't happen again. I'm really excited about this episode because it's DVR, Derek Van Riper. He's a very, very professional and cool, knowledgeable dude. So I just want to be clear and upfront about that. No secrets. Also, the Nolan Arenado trade did not go down until Friday night, which is when I'm putting this together. And we recorded this Friday afternoon. So we do talk about it, but it's in the pretense of it happening, not after the fact. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody out there, you guys are the best. I really mean that. The show is only as good as the listeners and the community that we create together. I hope you enjoy the show. Bye-bye now. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the city of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's royal visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. How about that? You should have been pulled in the forefront. They have faith in you. You should have been pulled in the fifth. But they had faith in you. It's time for another edition of the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's episode 53, the Brandon Woodruff edition. On today's show, we have one of the finest analysts slash hosts in all of fantasy baseball. From The Athletic, the host of Rates and Barrels and the Fantasy Baseball 15, Derek Van Riper. Join your hosts, Christopher Deary and Michael Govier, as they talk to DVR about the big trade, Arenado on his way to STL. They'll also dive into some players that you gotta have some faith in. Also, we'll get a look inside of DVR's fantasy process. Take a look at some ADP issues, and of course, Shine arrived the pine. Take it away, boys! Thank you for tuning in to the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you aboard today. We got another special guest, a great show. It's a Friday afternoon here on our podcast recording time. I'm Michael Govier, MJ Govier on Twitter, Palazzo Podcast, two L's. Two Z's on Twitter. We always appreciate your action. Utah, 
Give me two. Don't forget those two L's and two Z's. Plausible Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Your thoughts, your analysis, your opinions, your queries, anything that comes to your mind, we want to hear from you. I'm joined by my regular co-host, as always, Chris Deary. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great. Excellent Friday. Nice and sunny out here in Ann Arbor, but it's also freezing, so it uh, seems like winter has finally hit. Right yeah. well. Yeah, what the hell, man? I mean, uh, I haven't been outside in a while, so I don't know what's going on out there, and I prefer not to. But we also have a, a Midwesterner in arms, in a sense. Zag more! Oh, that's the wrong button. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's, he lives in Wisconsin. He's a host of Rates and Barrels. He's had experience at Rotowire. Now works at the Athletic. He's one of the finest voices in all of fantasy baseball. The one, the only, the smooth sounds of Derek Van Riper! How you doing, Derek? Doing great. Thanks for the great intro. Hey, you know, we aim to please here on the Palazzo podcast. Uh, by the way, is it Palazzo or Palazzo? Do you know? <laughs> I, I pronounce it like Palazzo, like the casino. That's where my <laughs> mind goes, but yeah, I don't know. Is no there a naked gun-themed casino out here somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, you know, there's so many casinos now. I, I think we have like 40 in Michigan. They've really sprouted up over the last 20 years. But yeah, it's great to have you aboard, man. I mean, you, you know, your resume speaks for yourself. You got a lot of experience. You got a lot of knowledge. You also are a smooth host. Do you take issue with being called a host? Do you consider yourself an analyst, or do you try to just let other people deal with that and you just do your own thing? I don't worry too much about it. Um, it does kind of work out in a way where usually I'm in that host role, you know, the person setting everything up, but I have some opinions. I have some takes. Uh, I try to make my own decisions. I'm not just a, a monkey following what everyone tells me to do or anything. So, yeah, I'm cool with, with either title, I guess. Don't let people peg you in a hole. Pigeonhole is not cool. You know, let Derek be himself. Let him freely express himself as a host. And then, you know, if he has opinions and analysis, which he does. I mean, how many drafts have you done already so far since the last season ended? I think I've done three that I've finished, and I'm in the middle of a fourth right now. We have this Arizona Fall League tradition. It's been going on for a few years now, doing a slow draft together around the end of January. So that one's going to be going on for like two more weeks. People are not all over the draft room in that one. Uh, so we're only about 14 rounds in out of 50. I expect that to last a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slow drafts. You know, I've, we've talked about this on the show before. Slow drafts are a new experience for us last year. I love them. I, I like that they give me more time to think about my teams because all I ever knew before I got into the biz was the a minute and a half, two minutes picks. And that's it. That was, you know, you got to know what you're doing immediately. There's no time to really think. So. Kudos to the Slow Draft people for making that happen whenever that started. We're very excited to talk about fantasy baseball today with Derek Van Riper. We'll talk about other stuff when we get into Enrico's Inquisition. You know, get to know Derek beyond the baseball man that he is. We'll talk about some bargains. Got a couple trades that were sent in that we'll share with uh, Derek and get his thoughts on. Gotta have faith. Players that have produced before, but maybe there's a little bit too much risk right now. So we're going to talk about some players each of us have identified that we're going to take a chance on. And, of course, we'll do some shine or ride the pine and do projections that we always do. See where Derek shows up on that. Get some knowledge and some feedback inside his head on his fantasy process and your emails and tweets and whatnot. But in the meantime, let's get the ball rolling and get into leading off. 
starting off today, I wanted to keep it simple. It seems on the show we take way too long going over transactions, and I don't want to spend a half an hour on <laughs> Freddie Galvez. I think we talked a little bit too much on Freddie Galvez the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we did. Uh, but those of you that listen that say, you know, you're leading off segments too long. We're going to keep it shorter. We're going to nip in the bud, keep it simple today, talk about two possible transactions, one that's for real, and also one that I wanted to throw in real quick that we didn't mention on the show earlier in the week. And that's Tommy Listella. Tommy Listella signing with the Giants. We wanted to, I wanted to talk about that with you, Deary, on the show we did on Tuesday, I think, whenever it was he signed. And I was really excited about that deal because the Giants, they have a good eye for getting bargain deals and players that provide maximum value on their contracts. And Tommy Listella has reinvented himself over the last couple of years as a player that can provide a lot, first with the Angels, then over in Oakland. He could play multiple positions. He's shown a lot more power all of a sudden. Derek. Tommy LaStella, somebody that you target later in drafts as a multi-positional player that can provide value? I think he's fine. I mean, I'm talking about the draft and hold format just for a second. He fits really well there because he's going to get enough playing time to be useful for a decent number of lineup periods. That positional versatility is really nice in that format since you can't make moves on the fly to fill your needs. I think the question with LaStella is... Are we getting more than a dozen home runs over a full season? I know they made some changes at Oracle Park, made it a little more homer-friendly to its previous level, of course. It's still below average for hitters. I, I just don't know if there's a lot there. I think he kind of fits in the, the David Fletcher bucket for me. A useful <laughs> player, but a guy that's not going to put you over the top in a shallow or mid-size mixed league. Wow. David Fletcher. I feel like Lestella can provide more power than Fletcher can, but that might be the only difference. Playing time, opportunity, and getting at bats. I think Listella is going to get all he can handle as long as he can stay healthy. 2019 was that first year that we saw any type of power from him. I mean, he obviously did not get a ton of at bats when he was with the Cubs and then early on with the Braves, but 16 home runs, 49 runs, 44 RBIs in 19, and only 80 games is really impressive. I do like the fact that he is a super utility guy. Uh, they kind of they kind of have a lot of other guys similar to that, you know, uh, you know Donovan Solano who's who's slotted in at second right now. The question for me is going to be how many at bats is he going to get? Is he going to have the opportunity to get 500 at bats? And if he does, uh, you know, 15 to 20 home runs could certainly be possible. Yeah, I think the 2019 season is the outlier. So if you're buying into what he did in that season, then you're probably saying, "Hey, I like this move and I'm excited about it," but. That's another guy that probably would show up in the Gotta Have Faith segment if you believed in him, and I'm not so sure I believe that. And Derek, you make a good point about that. He's not much more than maybe a David Fletcher type. Now you actually got me thinking otherwise. I thought I thought their profile looked kind of different, but now that I'm looking at it here, I, I think you're right. I think that's actually a good comp, <sighs> which kind of makes me sad. I, I'm that's worried okay. about the rest of the infield too, right? I mean, you add a guy like Listella, who's a lefty, that kind of dings Wilmer Flores a bit. I think we're going to have universal DH, so that alleviates some of the playing time concern. But if somehow we didn't have that, Wilmer Flores is going to have a hard time finding more than 400 plate appearances if everybody's healthy. So you're like me. You you know they're going to shoehorn in the DH at some point right before the season starts, even if it comes that close? Yeah, I think that's the expectation I have at this point. Like, we may not know until 48 hours before opening day. But <laughs> yeah. I think it's coming. We bring it up every time, you know. They made the playoff decision the day of opening day last year. So <laughs> they don't they don't care about us or anybody else's feelings or expectations of roster building in real life, you know, baseball world. It's all about, hey, what can I get over you and how can I take advantage of you at the last possible second? 
Nolan Arenado, Colorado Rocky for a long time, his whole career. Great player. Uh, been dinged a little bit because of a 2020, which was, you know, a fluke year. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, 2020 was a short season. Uh, there was maybe a possibility. <laughs> yeah, well, this is our siren. Every time somebody brings up the 2020 short season, they do the caveat of a, it was a fluke or, you know, it was only a short sample. We play this siren every time instead of trying to go over that. But if you're new to the show, I wanted you guys to be aware of that. Anywho, Nolan Arenado, rumors are flying about St. Louis, but there's nothing concrete here. And the more I look into it, Ken Rosenthal's report says it's more still quite of a fantasy than a reality. If it does happen, let's just say it does happen. Uh, Park factor-wise, how much does this change his profile and how far down would he drop, I would assume, for you? It'd definitely be a drop. I think Arenado's a very good player, maybe even an elite player at his peak, and he's just kind of getting to that post-peak phase where I think he's going to age really gracefully. If he stays in Colorado, for me, he still belongs in the first three rounds pretty easily. Probably an easy second rounder if he were completely healthy. If he goes to St. Louis, we have a guy who was a former first rounder who's made that move, Paul Goldschmidt. We've seen what that park does, and, and aging too, right? They're slightly different players. Arenado strikes out a lot less, but I see more of like a fifth, sixth round kind of guy if he ends up in St. Louis. It's one of the worst places he could go for a home park. Like if you if you said the Brewers were going to trade for Nolan Arenado, I think the the difference in park factors between Coors Field and Miller Park basically become a wash when you think about not having to leave Denver to go hit somewhere else and the difficulties of doing that. I think the the drastic home road splits we see are not just Colorado as a park versus other parks. It's really the difficulty of adjusting to how pitches move when you leave Coors Field. So uh, if he ends up in a hitter-friendly environment that's not Colorado, I wouldn't ding him nearly as much, but We've seen it with some guys that actually have legitimate power. Like St. Louis is not a good place to end up. Uh, the runs would still be there. The RBIs would still be there. Obviously, he's a high-volume player, and he puts a ton of balls in play. There's still a lot to like. But he ends up being Anthony Rizzo with more power at third base. Like That's the type of profile that I think he has when you take him out of Coors Field and throw him into a pitcher-friendly environment like St. Louis. Nolan Arenado in St. Louis at Bush Stadium. Bad news. You are correct, Derek. According to our own Park Factors on rotofanatic.com, which are done by Crosby Spencer, he does great work, really solid stuff. Bush Stadium for right-handed hitters, uh, not a great place for any type of hits or power, slugging. The only thing it's good for is for <laughs> singles. It's fourth overall in singles. So if you're looking to make a base hit, Bush Stadium's a great place to be, but it's dead last in doubles, second to last in average, third to last in home runs, dead last in slugging, dead last in Wobicon. This is not a place that is friendly. This is, by the way, 27 through 2019 data, so it doesn't account for last year, but still, this is a lot of data that shows you right-handed hitters not going to be doing that well, nor really left-handed hitters. This is not a place that's a fun hitter's park. It's just not. If you look over his career, he's been able to hit home runs enough on the road just to uh a tad bit below than what he's done at home. But the huge difference is his average is completely different on the road. He consistently bets 330 to 340 at home and bets under 300 on the road. And like you both just said, St. Louis is not an optimal place for him to go. I, I'd like him in that lineup with Goldschmidt, but you've seen what it's done to Goldschmidt's power there. So not the optimal place to go. I'm wondering to see if another team maybe gets interested in this. I did hear the Braves were probably sniffing it out as well. And I think the Rockies are probably going to start uh, thinking 
about shipping them out here. They haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years. You know, uh, they're in that wild card matchup in, uh, two years ago and then really had a poor showing uh, in 2019 with only 71 wins. So Colorado's needs to make a move here and, you know, maybe get younger and rebuild. Uh, obviously, St. Louis has a guy like a Nolan Gorman who is only 20 years old. Uh, you know, that would be a part of that return package, I imagine. But I'm interested to see if another team gets involved uh, in the chatter. Nolan Arenado, these rumors have been flying for over a year. It's been since he was kind of, uh, you know, disappointed and frustrated with the front office, which is Derek, Colorado Rockies, front office, playing time. It's a running gag across the fantasy community. Garrett Hampson, I love Garrett Hampson, never got the playing time. Every player that you want to get playing time never got it. So I don't really blame him for being frustrated with this team. It's It's been a joke for a couple of years now, but... I'm still I'm still suspect of him leaving. I would agree with you. What about Jock Peterson heading to Chicago? He's a Cub now. $3 million cheaper than Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber versus Jock Peterson. Are we talking about the same kind of player here or not? Because there are some similarities between their profiles, their swing and misses, their struggling against left-handers. Is this a benefit in the end for the Cubs besides a monetary one, Derek? Not really. I mean, I think it's a slight downgrade because if you look at the splits, they're both players. Peterson and Schwarber are both players who really shouldn't play a lot against lefties. If I had to throw one of those guys out there, I'm actually more likely to trust Schwarber to hold his own in that spot. And I think part of the reason their numbers look so similar is that Peterson has been hitting in a much more hitter-friendly park throughout those two players' respective careers. Dodger Stadium rewards high drives at a well-above-average clip. And if you take him and put him in Wrigley, where the wind is blowing in more than it's blowing out, and it plays more like a pitcher's park most days than a hitter's park, I think some of that power starts to go away. Uh, I actually see a little more batting average downside with Jock Peterson. It's reflected in his projection. If you use the bat, I think there's almost a 15 or 20-point difference in that category alone. I think Peterson's a nice enough player, and if you're saving a few million dollars and that's what ownership tells you to do, then you've done well if you're Jed Hoyer in this case because... They could end up being close, but I think, especially with Schwarber going into a more hitter-friendly environment in D.C., we're going to see that that extra $3 million was probably worth it for the Nationals to pony up for Schwarber. I think the Cubs are actually going to miss Kyle Schwarber. Deary, Wrigley Field, like Derek said, not ideal at times, that wind blowing in, although Peterson has tremendous power. This also would give the Cubs uh, a universal... Left-handed outfield, right? With uh, Ian Happ and Hayward. Hayward. Uh, I mean, if you could load up in the NL Central on lefties, might be a good time to do so. I mean, I would I would agree with Derek on, you know, I think it's a downgrade here with, with Peterson. He excels in L.A. and he's able to bop it out of the ballpark there. But the wind factor in, in Chicago, you know, I – I, I like Schwarber more just because of, you know, the, the walk rate is going to be a lot better. I think he's really going to excel in D.C., probably bat a little later in that lineup. He's not going to be a ton of pressure on him. He was the golden boy in Chicago for several years. They both have a ton of power. I, I'm interested to see what Jock can give you fantasy-wise. Uh, the good news is he can play several different positions for them uh, if the universal DH is there. But 
both guys being so similar, being poor against left-handed pitching is just is is really really bothersome. So we'll see how it turns out for the Cubs. Um, obviously they're in they're in a rebuild right now, uh, but they did get a you know a major league bat back. You know after losing Schwarber, they're not going back into their farm system. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I think in the end here, I don't see a massive difference between the two. Park factor wise, besides the wind, obviously Wrigley Field for lefties. Not so great in certain categories. Home runs, it's kind of middle of the road, but it, it does tend to hurt left-handers more when it comes to the other categories of slugging and Wobicon. They're in the bottom six of the league, according to Crosby's park factors. And Crosby knows his stuff. He's a smart fellow. So, yeah, Jock Peterson, woohoo! The uh, dominoes are starting to fall into place. This is something I want to ask you, though, Derek, as someone who's only done three drafts, which I commend you for. That's not a ton of early drafting. But these players that don't sign but you might have an idea or an inkling where they're going. How do you factor guys in like that? Like Kirby Yates signed with Toronto, but there was drafts going on before then. Brad Hand, there's a lot of closers. Still, Alex Colome is still available. How do you factor that in for your own personal drafting situations when these guys don't have a home yet? I think for relievers, it's really difficult in the current landscape of the game to assume that someone who's closed before is going to end up in a spot to close again. We saw rumors with... Brad Hand getting close to a deal with the Mets at one point. Obviously, that didn't happen. And maybe with the opportunities in D.C., he stays a top 10 closer, even if he's not necessarily a top 10 reliever by skills. But we need guys who are reliably getting saved. So that was a a win for the fantasy community, I think, given the alternatives. With Kirby Yates, there was a chance he was going to go to the Dodgers. I mean, Kirby Yates getting saves in L.A., maybe, if, if they're finally ready to move on from Kenley Jansen and put Jansen in a sixth or seventh inning role, uh, so with, with relievers especially, I tend to take more of a, a wait-and-see sort of approach. If someone really falls a long way, maybe I'll take the chance. But I have to believe in the skills because I want someone who's useful even as a non-closer reliever in those deep formats like draft and hold where I can't make moves. For mm. hitters, I generally want to buy at the discount because I think most projections that spit out a number when a guy doesn't have a team – are spitting out something for a completely neutral environment. And there's only a handful of places you can go that are truly bad. And in most cases, the player that you're looking at doesn't necessarily fit on those teams. So it seems like you're more likely to gain a little bit of value because most people steer away and kind of hold back on these players. And you see, if you look at ADP trends, after a decent player signs a contract, Marcus Simeon's a good example of this, his ADP is going to jump 15 or 20 spots from where it's been all of draft season. Maybe even a little bit more than that because it's Toronto. So you were getting a good discount the entire time. And when you were looking at Simeon as a free agent, regardless of whether you thought he was going to sign to play shortstop somewhere or not, I think you could look at him and say, he's definitely a high volume guy. He's going to start at least 90% of the time, if not every day. And that to me made him a really nice target where he was going. And he still might be undervalued, even if you bump him up 15 or 20 spots in ADP, that's entirely possible. So it's a little bit case by case for me. Uh, definitely more careful with reliever free agents than any other type of free agent that we were looking at uh, during draft season. But at the same time, you could jump on a guy and get tremendous value if he signs. If you trust the skills, like you said, you know Kirby Yates could pay off for you in spades now. And Toronto is going to be a good team, I believe, that will get a fair amount of opportunities to get saves for him. And the rest of that bullpen, you know, it stinks. So if you take a risk. And everything's a risk. I mean, we have so many players with risk involved. Everything you do is going to be suspect to some type of injury or a change in playing time for a lot of these players. I mean, the elites of the elite 
they'll be fine. But they're still suspect injury as well. I do think that there is some benefit in taking risk on guys like Yates or Hand, knowing that the skills are still there and someone's going to eventually cash in on that. And that's how you can benefit with the early drafting process. It's good to have the homework done, especially. I think there's an advantage if you do your prep early to getting out there before everybody has a lot of time to do their own research and think about it and shift things around. Uh, but I think price is key. I mean, if you look at Brett Hand, I feel like he wasn't falling nearly as much as Yates. Yates is coming off the injury, too. So I think of the two, I was much more likely to throw a dart on Yates if I was chasing saves than I was to draft Hand at an ADP that's much closer to where I think he's going to end up once we get over to March. All right, yeah, uh, fair enough. I really am like most people, it seems like. Who who does take closers early? It seems like everybody waits on relievers. Every person I talk to now, oh, I wait, I wait, I wait. Is there someone out there who's not waiting? Because it seems like the rest of the community is all trying to do the same damn process, and we can't all do it and succeed at that because <laughs> there's just not going to be the players that you expect to be there at the same time because there's only so many players available in the market. Something to consider. You listen to the Hey, it's Enrico Plazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're talking with Derek Van Riper from The Athletic. Very well-known and respected and highly regarded host slash analyst slash human being. Good dude. <laughs> Enjoy having you aboard here. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's switch gears and, you know, lighten the mood. Let's have some fun with Enrico's Inquisition. <laughs> Bryce Harper or Lenny Dykstra? Bryce Harper. Oceans or lakes? Which do you prefer? Lakes. Oceans terrify me. Van Halen or Van Hagar? Oh. <laughs> Van Halen. Not Ooh. a contest. WW84, the movie, or Trevor Bauer? Trevor Bauer has more positive things going for him. He is a good pitcher. Oh, oh Nelly, get ready for some doozies. Because it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. Enrico's Inquisition. <laughs> Just for you, man. Here it is. Little Alt-J. We always like to play some music of our guest that he or she is fond of. And yeah, sure, I did some Twitter stalking. I looked around and it seems like you were excited about some Alt-J concerts maybe down the road. Is that fair to say? I hope so. Yeah, I, that's great. It's great research. I realized that there's some kind of internal clock in my head where I, I tweet about Alt J once every three to four years randomly. I bet if you just searched Alt J in my tag, it'd be so weird. It would have started years ago with, I'm not sure I really get this band. And then a few years later, I finally get Alt J. And then years after that, I want to see Alt J in concert. Like it's a, it's a complete evolution played out over a decade. <laughs> Oh, that's cool, man. Well, hey, I, I'm not uh, terribly familiar. Deary, are you an Alt-J guy? My wife loves Alt-J. Um, I think she was actually playing them the other day. Uh, she loves Alt-J. I'm indifferent. <laughs> I don't hate I, I, I certainly don't hate it. I, I think it's the, the singing kind of annoys me a little bit, but uh, they're, they're different. So, uh, sure, I like them. <laughs> kind of sounds like a little bit like Greta Van Fleet to me, a little bit. Yeah. Not as annoying as them. Well, they're come on, dearie, they're Michigan locals. Oh yeah, Frankenmuth, come on. What? It's, <laughs> the biggest you know, band to ever come out of Frankenmuth, Michigan. We're all Midwesterners. We should be supporting our Midwestern. They're just Zeppelin ripoffs, right? Is that what everyone says? All right, there we go. Wow, now you're talking <laughs> some shit. Okay. 
That's what I like to hear. Uh, this section, of course, is dedicated to Derek. And we're going to focus on him. Get to know him beyond the baseball, beyond the Alt-J, beyond anything, hopefully. Go so deep that we don't even recognize who he is by the time this segment's over. All right, Derek, it's real simple. For Bojack or Todd? Ooh, Bojack. <laughs> That's a great question because there are some there are some absolutely golden Todd moments on this show. But Bojack actually is one of my favorite main characters on a show that I've watched probably in the last twenty years. Wow. Yeah, different, I, man. He's flawed. He it's it's rare to have a lead character as deeply flawed as Bojack. Yeah, I think there's a kind of a tribute to Tony Soprano. He kind of started that movement with the anti-hero television because he was a flawed guy too and definitely not a great dude, but there was times you felt bad for him. There were times you're like, hey, I can't stand this dude. He's a piece of shit, but Bojack is (laughs) similar in that sense. I know it's a cartoon, but it's anything but a kid's show. I mean, Bojack Horseman is a deeply philosophical, like existentially overwhelming show at times, and I, I... I didn't finish it. I did like the first four seasons. I'm still due to finish the show. I feel like that's a really tough show to watch during the pandemic. I'm glad I finished it before the pandemic started because I think day-to-day life in a pandemic is dark enough. You don't need to watch shows that bring added darkness. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good point. I started it during the pandemic. (laughs) You started it, but you didn't finish it, right? No, I did not. I I only did like two or three episodes just because I watched so much other shit. Sure, sure. I will get back to it. That sounds wholly depressing. Yeah, I don't think I'm interested in that. But hey, everybody, some people are much more masochistic than others and to each their own. All right. BoJack Horseman is a show I need to finish. And I'm going to make that one of my goals now. I just wrote it down for 2021 because I wanted to finish that show. I loved it. And I got to finish it. But this is not about me. It's about you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre? Aaron Rodgers. Not even close. Not even up for debate. Not even up for debate. I think Favre was a really fun player to watch, but when you look at the efficiency of Rodgers and the fact that he probably should have gone to three Super Bowls now, beyond his control, he had to deal with the restrictor plate that is Mike McCarthy as his head coach for much longer than he needed to. Do you see him as truly someone to blame in that situation? I do, I do. And I think when you look at the lack of support on the teams around him, and it's been documented pretty well in some pieces. I think it was Mike Sando at The Athletic who had a piece that went up earlier this week. It's amazing. It's not just Packer fans saying, get this guy some help. It's actually borne out in data that Aaron Rodgers, as great as he is, has needed more help to get that second and possibly a third Super Bowl. I was thinking a lot about that after the game in the NFC title game last weekend. Aaron Rodgers, what, one in four in NFC title games, right? But a lot of those were with McCarthy. Yep. Now he's got LaFleur 0 for 2. Last year, the 49ers were a better team. I don't think there's any shame in losing to that team. They probably should have won the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. The Packers had no business being in the NFC Championship game last season against San Francisco. <laughs> they, I mean, I, I wasn't even mad as a Packer fan watching that game. I just kind of shrugged and said, well, I'm excited for the future because it's brighter with LeFleur than it ever was at the end of the McCarthy era. That's all credit to Rodgers just to get him there. Yeah, just the fact that they were even good enough to kind of luck their way into it last year says a lot about how great he is with that subpar supporting cast. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Lafleur, 
might he seems like a little over over his head with you know obviously we don't need to rehash the very questionable calls uh, there's also drop balls though too Lafleur's not responsible for those so I've, I'm sorry I mean <laughs> at least you're not a fucking Lions fan though I mean come on dude we can't feel that bad for you I mean when I was a kid I was growing up in West Michigan and I moved oh. to, I moved to Wisconsin when I was 14. And by the time I was done with college, I couldn't take being a Lions fan anymore. I took my very last opportunity to enter the transfer portal of fandom and root for the local team instead of the team I grew up with. And maybe that makes me a bad person. Maybe that makes me a quitter. No, 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 no. no. I didn't want to hate football anymore, Chris. I didn't want to wake up every Sunday all fall and just hate watching football. I, I don't. I, I I checked out probably seven, eight years ago. I mean, I like their gear. That's why I still watch wear some lion stuff because I like I like uh, the little Leo lion and I like the colors. But I I don't care about the team if they lose. Whatever. I'm actually rooting for them to lose half the time. And, I, and Mike's on board with that too. I know he's got a couple uh, lion sweatshirts or jerseys, but we don't care when Sunday happens. So I wish I had made the transition to find a new team way earlier in my life. Problem is, I've lived in Michigan my whole life. Yeah, yeah. So you got to move to get that that window open. See, now you've hit on something. I moved to Maryland a couple years ago, right when Lamar Jackson was drafted, and I got so excited. I, I really got into the Ravens. It was so bizarre to be in a town where the team had won a Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, and they really had a passion for their team, and it wasn't like so cynical and sick. It was so unusual to me, so foreign to me. Uh, a well-run, tightly organized team. Ozzy Newsom, a long legacy of really knowing their shit there. It was so bizarre, uh, but it was cool. I, I'm still, I'm still always going to be a Michigander. I'm back in Michigan now, but that was fun. It was cool to see another team and how they do it the right way. Yeah, and I would Lions. put the Packers in that league, too. Yeah, the Packers, I mean, that's the same feeling I had. Again, I was probably 19 when I finally made the switch. May have waited a little too long, but um, <laughs> the Lions are a pillar of incompetence in professional sport. Like, that's <laughs> they are. I think I think it's the worst-run franchise in the four major sports. I mean, they've given us no hope in 20 years. Well, you got oh. Dan Campbell for six years, no, so I'm yeah, sure that's yeah. going to go really well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on, please. <laughs> bite some kneecaps. By the way, yeah, yeah, that's right. And we'll get, they'll, we'll get back up. We'll tear your knees off. We'll rip your flesh <laughs> off you and get back up every time, or whatever that was. So oh. That's what we need more of. We need more, like, aggro asshole males. We don't need critical thinking. We don't need any of that stuff. All right, I don't know anything about Dan Campbell beyond that, so maybe I shouldn't make assumptions, but, you know, I do know the Lions and what they do, and Chris Spielman is now, like, he runs the Lions, essentially, and I know that he's a, you know, take no prisoners. He was a great player for the Lions, but he has that certain attitude of the old-school middle linebacker. So. And Dan Campbell fits that profile. All right, well, that's enough Lions talk. You're listening to, hey, Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're talking about the Lions here. What do you think of the Lions? Call in right now, 313-57... No, I'm just kidding. There's no phone number. Let's try something else. How about this? George or Elaine? George. Um, love the show, obviously. I got a Seinfeld book over my shoulder. Have probably watched every episode more times than any person should rewatch anything. I think George's neuroses are <laughs> present in everyone, whether you admit it or not. <laughs> I think uh, there are a lot of great qualities in Elaine's character. 
I think TV needed a very strong female kind of co-lead, I guess you'd call her in this case. And she does a lot of things really well on that show. But George is a character that I'm not sure I've ever seen one quite like him. Maybe I've missed out on some really dark comedies in the last decade or so where we've had some other Georges. Now, I also haven't watched nearly as much Curb as you'd think for someone who loves Seinfeld. I'm just kind of scratching the surface on Curb. And Larry as himself really is George, so maybe that's going to scratch the itch for a little while, but I'm George over Elaine. <laughs> I think that is such an honest comment. Yeah, there is a George in all of us. It's bubbling at the surface or it just comes straight out. But you're right. The neuroses are flowing in the United States of neuroticism, no doubt about it. I, I think Elaine is the glue to the show, but all the best storylines are George. Elaine's a really important character. I think she's a better character than Jerry by far. Like I, I actually think Jerry might be the worst of the four main characters, which you know, he's fine. He's he get rich from it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I I think Kramer, you know, gets a lot of the love too because they think there's no substance there. But there's really a lot going on with Kramer too, and he deserves just as much credit as anybody. And in fact, some of his storylines to me, Chris, are actually my favorite more than any other character. They're the most absurd, probably. Yeah, that's why I love it. The Merv Griffin show, it's so funny. I never get sick of watching that episode. Uh, by the way, uh, I wanted to mention here, we're doing the show live, but you're listening to it on tape, audio tape. Uh, John Chaney of the Temple Owls has died. Remember John Chaney? College basketball coach. Very fiery and intense dude. And uh, he is... He has passed away at the age of 89. That's a full life, and I just wanted to mention that because I always respected the hell out of him. I thought he was a great dude. Um, Any thoughts on John Chaney, Derek? He's just one of those iconic college basketball coaches that you remember seeing on SportsCenter back when SportsCenter was great. You know, he's just an icon (laughs) in the game, but one one of those guys that old school, right? I mean, just a definitive college basketball coach from the modern era. Maybe not a guy that had as much success as the Patinos and the Caliparis and the Izzos, but obviously someone that deserves a, a lot of acclaim for what he accomplished. Well, he will always be linked to Calipari for that amazing presser argument that they had where Cheney actually attacked him and said, I will choke you out. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> that Well, that's what I was thinking of, dearie. You just, oh, you're you looking just kinda, for it right now, aren't you? You just kind of nailed it. I just got my ass blasted for giving them hell down in West Virginia. And here you get a hell of a job right here today. Good job. Three class guys. And you pick them out here and single them out. You can't get that damn nigga in front of the Shut up, guy. You John Calipari and John Cheney going head to head in a press conference, in case those you don't know. Good team, and you don't need that edge. That's why I was telling my kids to knock your kid in the mouth. Stand in there, push it in the game. Well, there you have it. Great John Cheney. Uh, I mean, he might not consider that his finest moment, but it certainly was an entertaining one. Good coach. God rest in power to you, John Cheney thought i'd mention that all right back to the uh, inquisition i know this is very intense and challenging uh are you more of a diet soda guy or do you prefer flavored seltzer water flavored seltzer water i don't know what it is about diet stuff it just doesn't taste right it's just missing something 
I don't know. I can't get into Diet Coke or Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> we have a friend uh, who loves Diet Soda, don't we, Deary? You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Who? Really? <laughs> who are we oh, talking about? Uh, Jason. Oh, God, yeah. So- I, I haven't had a regular soda or a Diet Soda in it might be decades now. I mean, I'm I'm full into the flavored seltzer water. Wow, decades. That's quite impressive in America, I must say. It doesn't taste good. I mean, di- diet soda is just flat. It tastes like garbage. Yeah, I'd rather just have a real soda if I have to do it. It's I would pop, agree with you, Derek. <laughs> Gross. Ew. Why do you call pop in Michigan? Oh, yeah, God. I call it I call it soda mainly. I think it's because from my wife is from New York, so I hear soda all the time. Uh, pop is just weird. Pop, pop, pop. Pop. You ever had uh, Derek? Well, you lived so you lived in Western Michigan initially, which is interesting. Which basically is Packer country anyway. So you didn't really have to convert because most people over there are Packer fans. <laughs> but you drank uh, Fago, yeah, when you were younger. Sure, Rock and Rye, Moon Mist, yeah. <laughs> do they sell in Wisconsin? They do. There is a there's a chain of grocery stores in Southeast Wisconsin. I think it's in Illinois now too. It's called Woodman's. Shout out the Woodman's. They. Um, in in the event, of, <laughs> in the event of another pandemic, uh, they'll they'll be the last grocery store standing. I uh, credit to them somehow for always having everything all the time. I don't know how they do it. I don't want to know how they do it, but they have <laughs> they have things from out of state they're not supposed to have. Uh, they have discounted packages of Ziploc bags they're not supposed to sell for the price they do. I mean, they're they're amazing. Wow. They have a liquor store that's. Enormous. It's like a total line stuck to a grocery store. It's amazing. Wh- Woodman's? Woodman's. Whitman's. Yep. Woodman's. Oh, Not wait. to be confused with the Whitman's chocolate sampler. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have Meyer? You guys got Meyer in Wisconsin, don't you? We're starting to get them. Yeah. yeah my oh! family was excited about that. We grew up with that. I mean, that was the, the original Target and the original Super Walmart, right? Meyer is yeah. everything yeah. for as long as I can remember. Meyer, I mean, their home base is in Grand Rapids in the West Side. So that's where it all started, I believe. So you do. Meyer's great. Gives you everything, reasonable price. If they would advertise on the show, I would happily accept their advertising. Uh, Ricky Gervais or Steve Carell? Two office veterans. Steve Carell. I think Steve Carell's shown us a little more range than I would have expected when I first really saw him on The Office. So I find Ricky Gervais to be a little annoying in non-office settings. Wow. Is that allowed? Are you allowed to say that? I just did. <laughs> They're going to come after me, I guess. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, Rick Gervais is very... He's become so divisive now because of the Golden Globes things he's done so many times, which I actually found kind of funny at times, but I could see how it would be tiresome at a certain point as well. And I've never, by the way, never seen the American office. I've never seen it. I've seen the I've seen it on a TV here and there, but I've never sat down and watched the whole show. I think you would probably like it. I, I mean, I guess I don't know that much about you, but I, I felt like the show, because of major casting changes, starts to fall apart. I gave up on it. I think around season five, and I've watched Parks and Rec start to finish twice. I'm convinced Parks and Rec is the better of the two shows. Superior, at least without, it's entirety. Like there might be there might be a couple seasons or episodes of The Office that are above the best of Parks and Rec, but Parks and Rec as a series just holds up really well. 
I, I think when The Office made Ed Helms like a main player, I like Ed Helms. I think he's hilarious in so many other roles, but he is so annoying on The Office that it just, it really killed the show by the end. And then they started bringing in like James Spader came on for a season. Uh, Will Ferrell was on for a few episodes. They were really floundering back and forth, especially once Carell left in those last few seasons. But I'm on board with you, Derek. Uh, Parks and Rec is far superior. I think I've watched that series all the way through like two or three times as well. Oh, Mike, uh, that's another one. Never watched I've that seen one. the that show one. a few. I've seen a few episodes. I never watched the whole series. You would like that over The Office. I don't think you would really like The Office. All right. Well, it's lives on in meme infamy forever. I, I know more about it for memes on the internet than I do for the show itself, which is rather ridiculous. Uh, how about this, Napoleon or Kip? Oh, that's another great question. I'll I'll take Kip. Oh. <laughs> he's funny. He is funny. Um, I think his what's his best as his best line. Napoleon, don't be jealous. I've been chatting online with babes all day. <laughs> <laughs> he challenged him to a fight. Um, yes, for a ride. It'd be nice if you could pull me into town. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of Kip one-liners, and he's making nachos when he's on the phone. I think that's a, a little bit of an editing, intentional editing gaffe where the pile of cheese goes from normal nachos to three pounds of cheese on top of the chips. I got, yeah, I'll take Kip over Napoleon. Underrated. For sure. Everybody talks about Napoleon and Rico. No one talks about Kip. His girlfriend comes into town. Was it LaFonda? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was going to be a Napoleon Dynamite 2, I thought, where Kip and LaFonda uh, would get married and uh, Napoleon and Deb, you know, would be there and maybe like they'd develop that plot line more and maybe Uncle Rico would find his soulmate. But I don't know. They, they never followed through on that. Hard to believe. Uh, John Hader was a huge deal when that came out. He was in a bunch of movies. He did the Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell, and then he kind of just disappeared. <laughs> uh, sliders or curveballs? Sliders for the velo. Hmm. I wish I had more to put behind that, but that's... No, 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 no. You are no, no pressure, no urgency whatsoever. Keep it simple. I like it. And then finally, of course... For love or money? <laughs> For love. <laughs> hey! There it is. Another one for love, dearie. Love has uh, overwhelmingly dominated this segment as long as we've done it. Uh, I don't think it's close. And in fact, one of the finest answers we had was earlier this week with Michael Richards, who was one of the more shy guys we've had on the show, but did a great job, did a wonderful job. He was nervous. I'm really proud of you for coming on the show and doing it, Michael. Well done. But he gave this very eloquent answer about love. And if you don't have love, then finding love and the value of it, I was, I was moved. I really was. You gotta pull you pull that clip and we'll play it every single time someone says love. <laughs> it might be hard for people to top it. It sounds like it's really a, a very impassioned speech, but I, I just I mean no. money seems like one of those things. I don't have a ton, but I've got enough. Like I'm comfortable. Like I live in a two bedroom apartment in Wisconsin, but my life's fine. Like I don't, how much more money do you really need at a certain point, right? I mean Well, it, uh with everything that's going on right now with Wall Street bets and the hedge funds, it seems like it's pretty important to, <laughs> to some guys, people. I hope you guys have your game stop. hope you got it. <laughs> oh, I, I got out years ago, made my money. I'm, I'm just retired now. I do podcasts for fun. So. <laughs> All right, well, there it is. You survived Enrico's Inquisition. It's not easy. Uh, actually, that was 
was pretty laid back. That was not that complicated, and you did a fine job. You are decisive in your answers, and we appreciate that. Some people really struggle, and they waffle, and they, they don't know what to do. But you seem like a man of conviction, Derek, and I commend you for that. Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised by a couple of questions, so I apologize for the hesitation there, but uh, those were great questions. <laughs> you don't, how dare you? Unbelievable. Embarrassing. You should be ashamed of yourself, sir, and I commend you. How dare you, sir? All right. Real quick, I wanted to do this because Derek is known for his voice, and people love talking about his voice, and, you know, people talk about, they like my voice, so, you know, that's just what people say. So, I wanted to get it on tape, a couple of words that we both will say, and then people can compare them for all time. Are you ready, Derek? Sure. Yeah, let's try this. Okay, the first one is verisimilitude. 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 Nice. Oh, well, that's easy. Okay. <laughs> Isthmus. Isthmus. Yeah, I think mine was a little spitty, a little too uh, salivated. Scissors. Scissors. Good. Very good. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. <laughs> and mischievous. Mischievous. All right. Oh, last one. Mississippi. Mississippi. Great. Well done. You passed. F verbal test confirmed. <laughs> well done. That was it. All right. We're moving on now to the fantasy breakdown. It's time to get into some of the fantasy talk here on the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Don't forget that you can email the show, Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Two L's, two Z's. Utah, give me two. And we love hearing from you guys. You guys have been very active. Uh, we want to take a moment to say thank you to everybody who... <laughs> People went out of their way to say nice things about our silly song that uh, I did. The Power of Prospects, the Huey Lewis tribute. That was a lot of fun. And uh, people apparently out there are making their own songs in the community. So we might have some collabs coming up. In fact, the guys at the Dinger podcast, they, they said we should do a We Are the World of Fantasy Baseball. Get everybody together. <laughs> it's just Everybody chimes in with a line or a lyric here and there. I, I think that Whoa. would be... Pretty dumb and funny. I'm open to that. What do you guys think? Is that stupid? I think that would be a good charity event. Yeah. There you go. See, that's what I'm talking about. People, there's always people doing charity events. SB Streamer did one recently, and uh, there's always uh, Justin Mason does his every year with his pot of palooza. So, yeah, why not? I think that's cool. All right. Let's get into some ADP conundrums. Never know. Ryan Presley could provide value, or you could wait on closures, as we talked about earlier in the show. All right. Uh, one of my first conundrums for you, and I know you like this guy, Jack Flaherty, right? You, I looked at, uh, of course, your Twitter timeline, and you drafted him with one of your second picks in one of your recent drafts. Is that correct? I did, yes. Okay. So what I'm finding is that initially the run of Cole and DeGrom and Bieber goes, and, and then you're in the next tier, I would call it, uh, with Bauer and Darvish, Giolito, Bueller. Nola, and even Castillo, or, or you could cut it off right there and then go Scherzer, Flaherty, Woodruff, or some people are putting Woodruff in that second tier. But I'm wondering, between Flaherty and Scherzer, who would you rather have? Got them ranked right next to each other. I've got Flaherty just a tick higher. I think the big difference for me is just age, really. I, I think that's the only major argument I have against Scherzer. I think he's had a 
little bit of a home run issue in the last two seasons if you mush them together, but no worse than most of the other guys that you see up in the top 10 among pitchers. I mean, we're talking uh, 1.05 homers per nine for Scherzer. Flaherty's is worse than that. Darvish's is worse than that. Giolito's similar. Bieber similar. So if that's the only wart, I'm not really worried about Scherzer. But the thing for me that's really interesting about Jack Flaherty is that I, I still think we're going to get one more level from him. You know, I, I think we could see Scherzer age very gracefully and start to take small steps down over these next couple seasons. Flaherty could be a top five pitcher. I, I think he still has that ability to reach into that level. And we've seen Scherzer do it before. So there's very little that separates them. We're living off the fat of the land, if you will, when it comes to Jack Flaherty, in my opinion. The second half of 2019 is what a lot of people are still betting on. 0.91 ERA over 99 innings to finish the season in 19. Correct. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible, intense, very productive second half run for him. And then, you know, you got the uh, you know, 2020 season, and you know, it was a short season. And people said that, you know, there might have been short sample sizes and shit like that. But <laughs> he had one terrible outing. He had the nine outing against the Brewers. And the guys yeah, that's true. But in the end, Flaherty is a guy that uh, is still growing, and Scherzer is going down. You're right. So is it simple enough for you to say then, Derek, that give me the guy on the rise as opposed to the decline? More or less. I think that's what breaks the tie in this case. But at the yeah. same time, when you look at where they go, uh, I think Scherzer's almost an excuse for me to occasionally not take Flaherty. Th- those guys are actually right next to each other in ADP, too. I guess both are excuses for me not to take you, Darvish, right? Because there's not much that separates Darvish from those guys, even though I've got Darvish ranked one spot ahead. Like This cluster for me in pitching this year, the worst possible thing that could happen just happened in my draft and hold as far as pitching running a little early around the 1-2 turn. I took Brandon Woodruff with the sixth pick, I think it was, of the second round because everybody that I thought would be there maybe coming back in three was getting pushed up. And that's happening a lot. Everyone's worried about not having enough pitching. So I think we have to start thinking about some alternative strategies for this year. Zig when everyone else zags. If everyone else is chasing pitching early, try to come up with a way to build a staff without getting a pitcher in those first few rounds. Try to come up with a way to build the staff without getting a pitcher in those first couple of rounds. Hmm. I, I've just started doing some mocks, and you know I'm trying trying to change up my strategy each time. And it seems like every time I'm coming back to taking a bat in the first round and then back to back pitchers in the second and third round, because I just feel like it drops off a lot after your Burns, Woodruff, Gallon, and and after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. I took. Jose Ramirez and Trevor Story at the turn, a 12-team NFBC 50. And then I had to wait on pitching after that. So I, I just couldn't pass up the fact Jose Ramirez and Trevor Story, I think those are two guys that you can really lock in as very productive in almost all cats. And if Ramirez, for some reason, if he goes to Atlanta, I'll, I'll shit. I'll be even more happy about that. But even if he's not, he's going to get plenty of at-bats in Cleveland. But then after that, I had to build my pitching staff, and I just went pitching crazy after that for a while, nonstop. So that's another way to do it. You know, back to Flaherty, I keep trying to find reasons not to like him for some reason. I think that's kind of my new strategy is trying to find reasons not to like guys instead of finding reasons to like guys. And sure, the home runs have been a problem, but the upside, especially with his slider, in 2019, he threw his slider a lot more as an out pitch, and I think that's what really made him have that amazing second half. So 
the stuff being there is absolutely huge. So I, I, I feel like I'm talking myself into Flaherty a lot more and he's starting to climb my boards as I'm making my starting pitching rankings. Yeah, well, I've got I've got no real argument against him either. I think that's that's the thing. I think the thing you pointed out that's really important, Chris, he got shelled in that September start by the Brewers. Without that, and again, you can cherry pick everybody's start off their numbers, and of course the numbers look a lot better. He looks much more like the guy he was in 2019 in the shortened season if you just take out one horrible outing. And that was in the stretch of schedule. They were making up a ton of games, playing a lot of doubleheaders. I don't know how to quantify the impact that had on that team, but it had to have some kind of impact. That schedule was horrible as they were trying to make up for that lost time. Boy, that, that touches on an area I'd love to focus on, but we're not going to do that right now because we didn't prepare for that, and it could take us off on a tangent for hours. I want to keep going on some more ADP scenarios. I want to go a little bit deeper in the draft, and I'm finding that uh, Chris Paddock is hanging around. Right now, his 106 ADP. This is, uh, oh, crap. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, since January 1. That's what we do here. We always do NFBC ADP since January 1. Chris Paddock is available right around that pick time of 100. And Framber Valdez is also usually there. He's at 91. So you got Valdez, and then you got Paddock. And then there's Ian Anderson in the mix. Of those three pitchers, regardless of how you're building your roster, because I know that would play into it, but if you just if you needed a pitcher between those three, is there one that stands out between those three around that area? Yeah, I know we're still worried about Paddock not really having a third pitch and what he was able to do in 2019 relying heavily on two pitches is all the more impressive, but those concerns exist for Denelson Lamette, and Lamette's doing it with what I would describe as heightened injury concerns, and people are pushing Lamette even earlier than they're pushing Paddock right now. Uh, all that's a long way for me to say, like, I still believe in Chris Paddock. I think it's interesting that he's basically their fourth or fifth starter now. The projections are still really good. We're talking about a low four ZRA and a pretty good whip. And I think he could still beat that. I think he can be a 375 guy with like a 120 sort of whip, maybe even a little bit lower. I think usage is going to be key, right? If they leave him in games too long as a guy that relies so heavily on two pitches, maybe we don't see him get through the third, the third time through the order very often. But they've got a good deep bullpen. They've got guys that can protect his leads. And they've got an offense that should score a ton of runs as well. So I had Paddock probably overranked last year. I've got him a cut above Fromber. And for some reason, guys, maybe you can sell me on Ian Anderson. I just need to see more. I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a complete bust. I just don't have enough confidence in him based on the limited innings we saw. 32 and a third innings at the big league level once he got that call. It's just not quite enough for me to say I'm comfortable drafting him inside the top 100 where you have to go to get him. Yeah, I'm pretty shocked to see where his ADP is at. I have him in a dynasty league, and and I do like him, but he is my fourth option as my pitcher. I mean, he seems to be going off pretty early right now off of 32 innings and, what, I think 11 innings in the playoffs. I mean, his K per nine was really, really nice throughout the minors, but the big problem was his walks. He, he walked a ton of guys and that's a big difference. You know, Paddock in his short time, a season and a half, he's a guy who doesn't walk many people at all. And, and Framber has been in the system a little longer with Houston, but he hasn't pitched over 70 innings yet. So I think Paddock is certainly the guy that uh, I should be looking for as a bounce back this year. I don't want to sell you on Ian Anderson. I'm not interested. So good. We can just move on from that because that's, that's not what I'm trying to focus on. Somebody said something on our show recently, and it was pretty sensible to me. What is the, the difference between Casey Mize and Ian Anderson is just a little bit more success 
in this short sample season that we had. And otherwise, Ian Anderson, if he would have had a couple bad outings, he could have ended up like Casey Mize, or Casey Mize could have ended up where Ian Anderson is now. I mean, that's not what happened, but it could have gone that way. And would you be buying into him any more than you would Ian Anderson? Ah. Yeah, so I know the Braves my, are a better if, team. If and Mize so if comes out and has 30 good innings last year, is he a top 40 pitcher this year? Right. Yes. I, I guys, I think recency bias is always a problem in our analysis. The market always reflects what happened most recently and not who players have been over a longer window. But in a 60-game scenario, and some guys didn't even get to play the entire 60-game season, it seems like we're kind of colliding with this really sort of awful uh what's what's the what's the word here it's it just seems like we're going even further down the path of recency bias like the the magnitude of the shortened season and the impacts that has the variance that that has makes recency bias even more dangerous i just i mize is a great example if you look at their entire body of work as minor league pitchers and you read evaluations from people who study prospects and scout prospects who in their right mind would flip on Anderson versus Mize on 30 innings at the big league level from each of them. Nobody. And when Mize goes around, what, pick 300? How do you not just take Mize 10 out of 10 times and try to find someone more stable or just take a hitter in that spot and say, you know what, I'm getting just as much upside as the Ian Anderson person 200 picks later. I'll take my chances on Mize. It's confusing. Here, here. Here, here, good sir. I think that is probably the biggest factor in the struggle I'm having, and I assume it is for everybody else too, but 2020 has exposed the recency-biased conundrum more than any other time. And as somebody who's newer, me and Deary are newer to the analysis in terms of our public analysis of fantasy baseball, we're coming in at a very difficult time. And that's why I commend you for saying that, and I think we need to I don't feel like enough people are saying that. Maybe I'm not listening to every podcast or hearing everybody talk about it every day. But in the conversations I'm having, people are buying in. And these are people who are smart and they know their stuff. I am I just get frustrated with the fact that, eh, this is how it is now. That's it. You, either they're lying to me because they're trying to, to hide their draft strategy or that's how they really see things right now. And I, I see cause for concern. I really do. Yeah, I, I share that. I just, I think people are kind of drunk off of, numbers that are really noisy <laughs> it's just it's just a lottery ticket you got to hope you hit on it if, and if not and you draft him where that adp is and he does not hit and it could be bad enough where he actually ends up getting sent down or starts losing starts then you need to get something more dependable there yeah good call uh one more i want to do and we'll move on from the adp <sighs> this this one is interesting because austin riley is getting a lot of starting to get a lot of love people are saying this is the time you know we've seen the strikeouts everybody knows about the strikeout rate and the whiff rate it's tough it's been a problem throughout his career but it's going to go down it's going to get better and he's on the brink of his breakout season people love to be right and be first to the breakout of course but i'm wondering what you think so austin riley 205 adp right now and he's hanging around some guys that I would avoid. I, I wouldn't even include them in this, but Chris Taylor has third base. Well, no, he doesn't have third base. Apologize. Uh, David Fletcher does. David Fletcher, which we mentioned earlier in the show, in the comp that you brought up. But more importantly, I'm thinking about J.D. Davis. Wouldn't you rather have J.D. Davis over Austin Riley any day of the week, or is that just me? They're pretty close. I, I think they both have 
similar amounts of a playing time concern. I mean, I think you could see... You do? Riley, yeah, I think Davis doesn't really have a position to call his own. The Mets are still adding pieces, potentially. Like That, that could get more complicated than it seems. I, like I trust him. He's got a good profile. The power's legit. StatCast backs it up. But Riley's a lot younger. We saw some pretty big strides from Riley with plate skills, and you know that's one of the things that I would look more closely at over 50 or 60 games because I think it gives us an idea of a hitter actually making some legitimate sorts of adjustments. And it fits with some of the things we saw from Austin Riley as a minor league player as well. I think it was the first time he got to triple A back in 2018, K rate jumped close to 30%. You know, walk rate was pretty, still pretty good at 8%. Goes back to triple A the following year, knocks his K rate down to 20% and even walks a bit more. Some guys, it just takes a little bit of time. It takes a half a season. It takes even a season or a season and a half before they get settled in and they figure out how to adjust at the top level. I just think we were beginning to see that from Austin Riley. There's still risk. Obviously, he's bandied about in trade rumors. If the Braves thought he was a cornerstone player, that wouldn't even be the case. It would be obvious that he was staying. But the projection systems all seem to like him, which makes me kind of scared that he's going to become too expensive over the course of this draft season. I mean, across the board, 26 or more homers, um, 248, 250 average. That's not a bad player when you put him in that lineup and tack on really good run production. Gary, what do you think? My concern with Riley is these really, really poor streaks that he'll go on where he'll have a month where he'll bat 165 and he'll follow that up with a bat uh, a month that he bats like 240. Uh, I think the home runs will be there. You know, with that lineup, I mean, there could be upside of 85, you know, RBIs with like 25 home runs, but. I mean, it all is going to depend on how you construct the rest of your team. Uh, you know, he's going to strike out a lot. He's going to go through those woes where he doesn't have a high batting average. The ADP I'm fine with, and, you know, some of the other comps of, of guys at his position I'm not excited about. So I think with that power and the RBI opportunity, I would lean towards Riley, but he's not someone I'm, like, itching to grab too early. I just don't see how there's a playing time concern for J.D. Davis. I think he's locked in at third. They cleared house with the infielders, too. Jimenez and Rosario are gone. So if I know I'm going to get a full season out of J.D. Davis, I'm going to take that over what Riley's bringing to the table because I like they both play in pretty good lineups. There's, I mean, the NL East is just getting more and more loaded with offense, as we know. But I think Davis's experience and what I've seen from his profile – gives me more comfort. I like his plate discipline skills a lot more than I like Riley's right now. And I I would definitely take Davis over Riley in this situation, and even more so in OBP leagues or points leagues. And that would be league-dependent, of course, but that's me. So we can disagree, and that's fine. <laughs> can we still disagree and uh, continue the show, Derek? I think we can, yeah. Okay, good. Awesome, man. Whew, I was getting nervous there. All right, there it is. A little bit of ADP. All right, you listen to hey, it's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're continuing on with our fantasy breakdown with Derek Van Riper, the one and only, as far as I know. Is there another Derek Van Riper out there? Uh, I believe there is. I think he races midget cars, so <laughs> we lead very different this. lives. <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, I don't know that guy, but I know this one, and he's at Derek Van Riper on Twitter. And by the way, Van Riper is one word, correct? Yeah, it is. 
I made that mistake when I was Googling you. I realized, I thought it was Van Riper, but no, it's Van Riper. <laughs> See how much seems we like learn on the show? Every, like every time bit. we do a show. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some uh, trade issues. Uh, a couple of people sent in some trades. Real quick, we'll go through them. We'll talk about uh, whether we like them or not and which side we'd go with. Dormammu, I come to bargain. That's right, we're bargaining here. So, Anthony Rendon for Ozzy Albies. 14-team, head-to-head, 5x5 OBP instead of average. Which side would you prefer, Derek, Rendon or Albies? I'd probably take the Albies side. I think Rendon has a better projection, especially when you're using OBP instead of average, but speed is key here. I think second base, the shape of that position isn't good short-term or long-term, and they're close enough where I want that edge at second base. I'll try to pick up a third baseman or a corner guy off the wire to backfill or make another trade for a third baseman because that's a position that has so much more depth. Deary? It's it's the depth factor at second base and the stolen bases. Uh, I would lean towards Rendon just because I like the power. I, I like the, the walk percentage and the OBP. Uh, he was able to play 52 games last year. I thought that was going to be a, a great signing for the Angels, and I can't wait to see what he does there this year. And, you know, Albie's still super young. I mean, what's Albie's? 23? He just turned 24 like a month ago. Oh, okay. Uh, so, and I think there's still an opportunity for progression in terms of him bumping up that OBP. And if he can get to 20 stolen bases, then I think you're really, really looking hard at that trade. Uh, I would lean towards Rendon right now, though. There it is. Directly from the mouths of babes, Chet. Next one is a dynasty deal. This is uh, OBP dynasty, uh, standard otherwise. I guess it's Roto dynasty, but OBP instead of average from what I'm gathering. Adley Rushman, the highly touted catcher for the Baltimore Orioles, one of the top prospects in baseball, and John Gray in a first-round pick, in the, which was the uh, first-year player draft that they're having. For Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Brad Hand, and Adam Eaton. That's a lot of players. In a dynasty situation, what would you do, Derek? I mean, I assume that if you're considering that Rutschman side, you're thinking about playing for a couple of years from now. Is it enough value? In a two-catcher league, I think I'd take the Rutschman side. Two-catcher leagues are absolutely miserable. Rutschman's the kind of guy that should be an impact player for hopefully a decade. I mean, even if he's a, like a Yachty or a Posey at the end of that window, the beginning should be really good. There should be a lot of power. Obviously, the park helps in that regard. If I hope that's like Josiah Gray instead of John Gray, because that would make me like the Rutschman. Oh, it is. More. It's John Gray, by the way, not it, Josiah. <laughs> it's it's John. Uh, yeah, John just he just throw in, but maybe he gets out of Colorado. Like that's the that's the long term angle. So an okay sort of pitching dart to stash. And Wouldn't you love rounder, to see that? Wouldn't you love to see John Gray out of Colorado? And Herman Marquez, I'd love to see the Rockies <sighs> trade Herman Marquez somewhere else because he could be a top fifteen pitcher if he actually had to he go. Become a Cy Young caliber pitcher. I'm not even kidding. He really could. Depending you on the part. You know what's really shocking about John Gray? In his last three years, he's actually had a better ERA at home than away. Wow. He's kind of adapted, but then he's unable to pitch on the road for some reason. It's really right weird. because it's just such a mental mind fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just really like, got to yeah. focus in in Coors. <laughs> I think I'd take this Rutschman side though. I mean, with Hendricks. He's probably was it, how many good years do you think Kyle Hendricks has left? He's thirty one. Um, yeah, a couple. Stuff's it's not still that great. Have, like good years or like his his standard 
under, you know, four, three, five, five, zero ERA years. I'd say maybe two. I think you can find a similar comp to him pretty easily that you could scoop up. Right. Like if he falls into where we have guys like Keichel and Marco Gonzalez, maybe Gonzalez is higher than Keichel for a lot of people. I kind of see those guys as similar, like good innings eaters with ratios and low K rates. Hendricks will be around for a while, but like you said, he's replaceable. Davies already is that kind of guy right now. Maybe a little underrated, but that's basically what he is. Rizzo's on the backside of his career. As much as I like him, he's more of an accumulator than a difference maker. Hand is losing stuff. Has the job for now, more of a short-term play. If he loses the job, he's worthless in Dynasty. Like, you're not going to get anything for him. And Adam Eaton, to me, is just a guy. So I like this Rutschman side. I think that's the side you want to be on. So I've been pushing this new one, uh, turn into guy on this show. Uh, we're very excited about, there's always the manager in our league who's turn into guy. This guy's going to turn into this guy. And Adley Rutschman's going to turn into Buster Posey? Uh, yeah, I, I think like, like prime, like, like Buster, prime Posey? Buster Posey. I think you're getting maybe a little less hit to a little more power, but an impact like early catcher. I, I think, you know, maybe Wilson Contreras is a good statistical comp too. It's a really nice player to have for a long time. Vastly superior to Joey Bart, correct? Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, okay. that's what everyone's starting to say. I mean, we had two prospect people on this week and that's, that's what I learned this week more than anything. Joey Bart. Uh, is going down, and he might end up moving off catcher anyway. So, thanks, prospect people. You guys are amazing. All right, that's it. That was it. We just did a little bit of bargaining. Dormammu, I come to bargain. I just want to play that on repeat, like over and over again. That's for, you guys know what that's from? Anybody? I don't know what that's from. No, nobody knows. Dormammu, I come to bargain. That's a uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange from the Marvel movie Doctor Strange. So. Yeah. I've seen it. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> the reason he gets caught in a time loop, uh, Dr. Strange can control time, Derek. I don't know if you knew that. So, yeah. <laughs> not anyway, my sweet spot. <laughs> not a big Marvel guy, are you? I'm really not, which is kind of sad. I should probably No, that's that. great. I think it's refreshing to meet someone who's not caught up in it. Yeah, someday I'll probably have kids, and my kids will get into it, so I'll get into it, and I'll get a chance to enjoy it then. That's right. That's what kids are for. You get to relive things that you missed out on that are great for children. I agree. Even though I don't have kids, I've heard that <laughs> is true. All right. Let's move into the one more segment we're going to do here. And this one is about keeping the faith. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you. No. So this is a area where we're focusing on players that have produced in the past but now the risk seems to have gone up even more and we're just not sure if we can trust them can we have faith in these players producing again even one more time or for maybe a multitude of seasons and the riskiness and the fear that has increased our concern about having faith in them can be no more so derek let's uh, start with you first off here who do you got in this situation yeah, I'll say that this is a player I, I like who fits this description. James Paxton. Maybe it's the projections. I just can't quit him. I know his back was a mess last year. We only saw five starts. He's had other injuries. He's had forearm stuff. He's had a little bit of elbow stuff during his time with the Mariners. We don't know where he's going to pitch yet this season. But I think we'll know a lot about where he's at physically once a team signs him. And he he's cheap enough, going back to the free agent question from a little earlier in the show, He's cheap enough where he could end up somewhere terrible and I could just be wrong and just cut him loose. And 
if he ends up with the Rays or if he ends up with the Jays, if he ends up in a good situation on a good team that's contending that believes he's truly an upgrade for their rotation, I'm very excited. I feel like that's a, a pick in the 200s. Well, Kara should be up in the 10 range. Walker, it's always been a little bit of an issue, but I think we can get a sub-4 ERA and a boatload of strikeouts from James Paxton if he's healthy. And I think I heard 94 in a recent workout. You're throwing 94 in January. That's really good. Like There was somebody on the thread who was kind of like, oh, he was only throwing 94. I'm like, it's January. That's great. <laughs> Zach Grinke throws 72 the first week of spring training. <laughs> like that's, that's great news for James Paxton. So he's the that guy is. that I'm, I'm still, despite the very scary injury history, I still have faith James Paxton will be good. That warms my heart. Last year, I picked him in the... Uh, you heard about the season. It was shorter or something. Uh, but I picked him to be my Saw Young winner in our short season, like preseason on Roto Fanatic. I thought he would really have this amazing free agent season and ex- just take it and then go off into the sunset and be the big maple that he should be. And I was dead wrong on that one. So just want people to know I'm wrong and I will admit when I'm wrong, but I would love to see that Derek, that would be a great bounce back. What about you, dear? Who you got? I think a guy that I would really like to see a bounce back, you know, he's only 26 years old. Andrew Benintendi, uh, his 2017 and 18 were so solid. And he was a pretty much top 40 fantasy player, a guy who could steal 20 bases, hit 25 to 30 home runs, have a decent average. And it's all just kind of falling apart for him. He's, he's trying to get some new swing mechanics. Uh, last year, obviously you will just throw that out, but you know, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's a new environment that might help him or, the fact that he just needs a full seasoning after, you know, last year to to get back to where he was. He's a guy who can steal 20 bases. Uh, his Z contact was a huge, you know, fall off in 2019 and then, you know, into 2020 as well. Uh, but ADP 229 right now, the guy's only 26 years old. I think the skills can still be there for a guy who really it's just kind of fallen off. And I, I think there's going to be a good chance for him to be a bargain out there, especially if he can bring that power back and, you know, make better contact. Uh, the strikeout rate was just abysmal the last two years. What was encouraging in the small sample last year is his, his uh, walk rate was up a lot. So maybe he's seeing more pitches and getting a little more patient at the plate. I think it's a good bargain at 229 for a guy that could possibly be a top 100 player. Derek, uh, does that interest you at all? Yeah, I like where he's going. Playing time should be fine. You get some power. You get some speed. First career, sub-20% K rate. He walks 10% of the time. I think the exit velo drop last season was a result of not being healthy and the fact that he played 14 games, which you want to throw a season out completely? Like that one, that's a strong candidate to just erase everything that happened last year for him. Uh, A start somewhere else wouldn't be a bad thing either. I mean, I think no matter where he goes, Andrew Benintendi is going to be an everyday player again. So just by virtue of a high volume of playing time, he seems undervalued at 200. I do think he can get back into that 75 to 100 range overall this season. Maybe he's never the the next Christian Yelich, as uh, I think I might have one time thought he could be. Maybe he's not going to get to the MVP sort of level, but I think he can get back to being someone who's great in pretty much any type of fantasy league even like a 10-team league with three outfielders i think andrew benintendi has a chance to be relevant throughout the season wow i was not expecting that from you all right uh it seems like everybody shits on benintendi every chance they get but we have two people on the show saying hey there's hope a little bit 
<laughs> My guy is Yoshi Tutsugo. Now, he came over from Japan as a signee last year. And, uh, you know, what 2020 was all about. I won't say why. But what 20, it was, uh, there was a season last year. Uh, trying to prevent the siren. Tutsugo was a stud in Japan. He had 45 home run seasons over there. The massive power over there. 38 home run seasons. He was a walk guy. He could get on base at a real solid clip. And in OBP leagues and points leagues in particular, I really am targeting Tutsugo because I think he's very valuable and he's just being dismissed. Now, I know people don't like the Rays because they mess with their lineups a lot and there's Yandi Diaz and G-Man Choi at first, and, you know, Susu goes a corner slash DH, but they did clear out some players and make some room, and I think they know what they have in this guy. We haven't seen the best of what he has to offer, and at this point, you know, you're not taking much of a risk here because the value on him is fantastic because people are dismissing him. So I think I would look for Susugo to have a nice bounce-back season. Let's see a full season from him. Give me all the Tutsugo that I can handle. Anybody interested in that, or is that stupid? I don't think it's stupid. I think one of the things that really (laughs) kind of caught the Ray's eye from Japan was some of the underlying numbers, the exit velocities and things that he was putting up overseas would have made him elite in the big leagues. And you wonder, for any player going to a new country to play, there's just an adjustment to life that probably makes the job a bit more difficult. Aside from coming from Japan and going to MLB where you're going to face better pitching. So you you add that on and then, oh yeah, that's right. There was a pandemic happening too. So life here and everywhere wasn't normal last year. One of the most difficult combinations of factors you can put around a player and say, now go hit 95 and go hit these breaking pitches you haven't seen before. Uh, what do you think the playing time looks like, Mike? I mean, I think... I look at Tetsugo and I see probably a 15-team mixed league kind of guy that's in and out of your lineup depending on matchups. If they catch a couple lefties for part of the week, he's going to your bench. But he's probably good enough when they hit three righties on any given stretch where you're going to want to play him. So do you see him playing any more than that? Or do you see him as kind of like a 450, 500 plate appearance kind of guy? Yeah, that's a good point. Drafting holds, best balls. I like him in those situations more maybe than like 12-team mixed leagues. Uh, Roto leagues, I would like him a little less as well. I think you're you're right to say that. I've been doing a lot of draft and holds lately, so I guess my mind's been more focused in that area. And with his 508 ADP, you're not risking any type of risk at all. There's no risk. I mean, you, you if this guy gives you 400 plus at bats, it's a winner. And in best ball situations, if he can go on a streak, that's great. I like streaky players in best ball. But in draft and holds, if he gets more opportunity, somebody gets hurt, someone always does. And I don't believe that Yandi Diaz or G-Man Choi or anybody else is a threat to him too much beyond that. I mean, Francisco Mejia, worthless. Mike Brosseau, I like him a lot, actually. But, you know, he could play other positions. So I I think Yoshi Tutsugo will be the guy in the DH position once he's established himself properly. Well, and you know how the Rays run their squad. is just everybody gets playing time and they just circle it around to – you know, uh, guys that can play several different positions. He can play in the outfield. He can play third base. He can DH. You know, I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer is not going to give you anything besides just being a defensive guy. So throw, you know, him in left field. And I don't know if a Rosarina, a Rosarina could play. Uh, actually, they got Margot. Margot could play center. So, uh, and, and like you said, ADP, what, almost 500? You're, you're not yeah. risking anything at all. And there could be really nice upside there. 
I think Derek, I think all the projections like from ATC and Steamer and the bat, the OBP is like 330 or less. I think you can easily surpass a 330. I expect a 350 or higher OBP. I really do. I think there's an adjustment coming. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show, recency bias. This guy's being completely dismissed. I think there's value there. I'm not saying that he could you know, outright win the job. I think the playing time is the number one concern of all the concerns you guys brought up. Otherwise, I think the talent's there and the ability's there. And it'd just be a matter of him getting enough at bats. So... Format dependent, guaranteed. Uh, let's go back to you, Derek. Give me another guy. Oh, another late injured guy that has risk that I like. I would say Justin Upton's kind of interesting to me. Old, boring, has missed <laughs> some time, but some of the underlying numbers are still okay. We're talking about a guy that goes after pick 350. I think he's going to hit higher up in the order than he probably should, and that's good for us. That's good for runs. It's good for RBIs, but... With Upton, you know, he was coming off a pretty significant knee injury going into the shortened season. I think now he's finally healthy again. We know they're going to wait a little while before Joe Adele really starts pushing for that playing time. It makes sense. I still like Adele long, long term for what it's worth, too. Upton feels like he's been around forever because he has. He debuted at, what, 19? So he's playing at 33 this year. But look at last year. 87 percentile in average exit velocity. Over 50% in the barrel rate metric as well. So I, I just think you could... Again, 55th percentile, not 50% barrel rate. That'd be insane. There's a little bit more left in the tank than you think when you look at a glance. You, you see the slash line, 204, 289, 422. He looks done. I see nine homers and 166 plate appearances. I see Upton in a really good lineup where that run production could exceed expectations. I think it's a low batting average, big power sort of profile that you can get at a discount. Nice to have some guys like that in your back pocket in case you're pursuing speed and pitching throughout the early and middle rounds. I just need to backfill with some decent power late. The number one overall pick of the 2005 draft. This guy's been around for a long time now, but he's still only 33. He's been a, he's been around so long that you would think he's like 37, but he's not. You're right. Um, I've heard some people that I talked to last week one guy said Upton is done. There's nothing left in the tank whatsoever, and he was adamant about it. Um, so we're going to see who's right on that one. I, I, I'm not saying that I agree with him necessarily. I'm curious. Upton is very suspect on the steals for me, but I do believe there's a power set still available. Um, that would be my uh, instant response to that. Diria, who else you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Donaldson. So ADP 191 now. He is now 35 years old. Uh, he's had consistent calf problems these last few years, but in 2019, he played 155 games, 37 home runs, 96 runs, 94 RBIs. You got a lot more out of him that year than most people had expected. Uh, and what I really like about just, or Josh Donaldson is two things. He still smokes the ball, 15% barrel rate in 2019, 20% home run to fly ball rate for his career. It's a really nice lineup. And the second thing I really love about him is that OBP – of 370 is doable because he always seems to get on base. He has nice patience at the plate, uh, should be able to have a walk percentage above 15%. And maybe he's not going to be able to hit you 35 home runs, but I think in that lineup, 85 to 90 RBIs is pretty good. And at, at 191, a guy that can be a top 75 guy, and you're looking at third baseman, which is really deep. I mean, you could really, really wait on him, and he could end up being a top seven third baseman. So uh, I'm going to go with Josh Donaldson here. Ooh, Josh Donaldson. Okay. 
I mean, John Stonson, proof's in the pudding. It's just a matter of the calf and the constant leg injuries, but it's a great lineup. It's a fantastic lineup. If he could play at least 100 games, that would be nice. I, I would imagine there'd be production there. I'm going to go with Madison Bumgarner. Now, I feel like this is a dude who has been just... Uh, he's done. He's 31 years old. He's finished. All the playoff innings, all the extra years of postseason, and the legendary performance that you know he showed What was it, in the 2014 World Series where they won against the Royals, and he just gave everything to the Giants. Now, I wonder if park factors play into this because he left Pac Bell or whatever the hell they call it now. I don't know. <laughs> what is the name of it now? Anybody? No. Oracle. That's right. Oh, is it? Which one? It's Oracle. Oracle. Park. Oh, Oracle. Yeah, they own everything over there. Of course. Sorry about that, Oracle. My apologies to you. <laughs> My apologies, Oracle. But Bumgarner in 2019, if, tell me if you would want this. You want a guy who can give you 207 innings. This is 2019. This is not that long ago. A 390 ERA with a 390 FIP to match. So it was dead on. I would take that. Now, the K rate was just under 9, 8.8 per 9. That's good. I'll take that, especially at the value he is giving you right now. And if you're looking for innings pitched in a season where there might be a concern about how many innings pitched we're going to be getting from certain pitchers, I think... Bar, barring health. Now, I know this is issue. He's broken down. He might not ever be healthy again. He rode the bowl and the rodeo. He changed his name. And I just feel like it's worth the shot where he's going right now. That's how I see it. Uh, tell me I'm wrong, Derek. I just don't know if he's going to miss bats at all anymore. That's my main concern. I mean, I think it could be an 18 or 20% K rate. It could be an ERA in the low to mid fours instead of in the high threes. It could be a bad whip if he's getting hit all over the place. That I think help him. Arizona, when they were good in 2019, part of the story there was defense was great. They were great at earning balls in play and outs, and that would bode well for Bumgarner if they can recapture that or remain at least one of the better defenses in the league. I just see him kind of as a guy that Used to have an incredible ceiling. I remember drafting him at the one-two turn of an NFBC main event before, back at the prime. I, I see him more as a more of a staff filler, more of a, a top seventy-five pitcher if it goes right, but a guy that you're cutting in deeper mixed leagues if it goes wrong. So it, it just sucks because he has been so good for so many years. But I just feel like you you have to be very careful about where your ceiling expectations are, and probably be very careful about the matchups in which you're comfortable playing him. Most of his home starts, probably good. Road starts against the Dodgers, obviously Coors, those are absolute <gasps> no-nos. But even like road against Atlanta, I don't think I'd throw Madison Bumgarner outside of Chase Field against a team like Atlanta or a team like the Mets. So I just think he's more of a 55 or 60% usage sort of back-end starter now. 389 ADP. So, again, I think this is low risk. And if you're talking draft and hold where you're stuck with everybody you got... Maybe that is more of a concern, but I feel like it's worth a flyer because you're not going to hit on all 50 of your picks. <laughs> I mean, nobody does. And if he happens to give you 150 innings in 2021, that would be fantastic. Now, the K rate and what kind of innings those are, those are suspect. But if he can keep the ERA under four, if he could do that, which he's done most of his career, if he's able to do that and reinvent himself and find that new edge a different way he has to accept who he is too and so i know there's a lot of caveats that i'm throwing out here and maybe the more i say it out loud the more stupid i sound and i can live with that but 
I just think at the around 480p, it's not that big of a risk. Everybody's been letting him fall, and all the drafting holds I've been doing in the best balls, he just falls and falls and falls and falls, and eventually, I think I took him once because I said, screw it, why not? Let's just see what happens. I think this is a guy who has the pedigree of being such a successful pitcher for, you know, eight, nine years in San Francisco and winning those championships that he's going to have to change his profile of how he pitches. Uh, one thing that was a little concerning to me is his fastball rate was down last year. It was it was down two, three miles per hour. He wasn't even hitting 90. So I'll be interested to see how hard he's throwing as the season begins. But only 31 years old and the, a guy with the pedigree that he has, I think this is his opportunity to, to start using some of his secondary pitches, really start framing pitches better uh, against bats to where he can really extend his career and, and become a good value. Obviously, the ADP is 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 way down there, so there has to be some type of value there with that. I, I, I'm concerned with the strikeouts and, you know, to Derek's point of whether he's going to miss bats, but if somehow that ERA can be below four, which it's been almost his whole career throughout last year, you're – all day buying into that. Unfortunately, most projections have him high fours, even low fives right now, which is kind of scary. And I don't do names either. I want that to be clear. I, I'm not trying to take a guy who has a name because I'm very weary of players that have a name that they're living off of with no production. So, then again, this is a deep shot. Having faith in a guy in a long shot. Um, uh, one more guy. Anybody else, Derek, real quick? or? Hmm, anybody else that I have stashed away in this range? I was just thinking about. Let's see. No, I, I don't. I guess I don't have anyone that immediately comes to mind. Does Gavin Lux count? Like failed prospects in general, like they're not really that risky. I still believe in Lux. <laughs> I still believe in Joe Adele. With Adele, you may have to wait for the playing time even longer than you wait for Lux. Uh, Lux has fallen like a mofo, though. He is. He's falling a ton. You can't have five or six guys like him on your roster, but you definitely want to have one or two because the payoff could be huge. Now, the group of players I was thinking of, I didn't have one from this group in particular, but the guys that didn't play, the guys that opted out of 2020, they're risky, but they're all pretty interesting. David Price, Marcus Stroman, like where they're going, if they had pitched and just been decent last year, they'd probably be going <laughs> earlier. Yeah. I don't think a year off for guys that know how to prepare for a season is necessarily a bad thing. So I'm kind of in on the guys that opted out. I'm okay with having more than one of those guys on my teams, especially when you think about where they are. I was excited about David Price to go pitch for the Dodgers and when he was leaving Boston. You know, before we knew what was going to happen last year, I thought he was going to be a great value, maybe a top 25 sort of starter at a discounted price. So maybe I'm lowering my expectations slightly, but I'm really interested in both of those guys at their reduced prices this draft season. It's not like these guys just sat on their couch and did anything. They certainly kept up the mechanics with their arm and they were still working out and maybe taking a year off, maybe actually did did some favors for their arms. And maybe even, you know, we talk about the mental aspect of the game, the fact that they were able to not put themselves in that situation where they were, you know, nervous about getting COVID. And uh, it's interesting because you said if they would have played last year and had decent seasons, let's say Price comes out and, you know, pitches 40 innings and has an ERA below three, he's probably way higher up in the ADPs right now. So it's that recency bias. Yep, there it is. All right, well, you know, in the end, we all just got to have faith, and that's what we tried to do here. Have you faith. can't always have it, but you try your best. Right, George Michael? Tribute. Rest in power, George. We miss you. This is the Hey, it's Rico Blazzo, Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We're talking with Derek Van Riper here. Uh, Derek, we want to get a little bit of insight now into your fantasy process. Uh, you're 
not just a host. You're a fantasy player. You're a fantasy manager. You're a fantasy analyst. You know this game. And I want to know, what is the first thing you do when you sit down for a new season of draft prep? Is there one thing you do right off the bat? I make a giant spreadsheet, and I try to load it up with the previous year's stats. I, this year, have the previous two seasons combined because we needed to Frankenstein some more numbers in there. I get the stat cast data, and as soon as the projections eventually become available, I add those as well. I get the conditional formatting going. Love to color code everything. If I'm looking at a large data set, I want numbers to pop off the page. So little green highlights, little red highlights, those are your friend. Those are, those are there to help you to find values late in the case of the green dots and to avoid problems early in the case of those red dots. So that's step one for me. Just get all the information I want in front of me into one place and make it very easy to see what actually happened last season. Hell yes. That's what I'm talking about. That's quick and efficient. I like that. That's a solid answer. By the way, I learned of a new thing from uh, Vlad Sedler, very well-respected player in his own right, RotoGut on Twitter. He uses something called RotoLab. It's an application where you can put projections and your league and everything into it. And I really liked it. I tried the sample out, and I think uh, I'm going to use it. I'm, I'm very interested in that. Uh, any experience with that at all, Derek? I've used the RotoWire draft software. I've from the time I was working there, I mean, it was free. It's part of a subscription there. Uh, Rotolab, oh. I've seen that. I've used their software. They're very similar in terms of their functionality. Uh, I think the last time I had access to both, Rotolab had a little more flexibility if you wanted to customize the projections. Uh, so if that's important to you, then maybe that's a reason to go that route. If you already have a Rotowire subscription, it's free. So that's pretty nice to have included draft software there and not have to pay extra for it. So yeah, I think it's a great tool to have on draft day either way because it shows you the best available at every position. It's a little cleaner than a spreadsheet, and you can track things like your category targets. And you can look and see very quickly what the teams next to you are doing, what they're chasing, what they're potentially going to do, and that might really shape your decisions in a snake draft situation too. Hell yeah. Look at that. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, mock drafts, do they help you? Do you do them or do you ignore them? They help. Um, they give you an insight into what other people might do in various positions. And I think when you think about a snake draft, you want to build a roster from the early part of the order, the middle part of the order, or the back part of the order, maybe even the end specifically, because picking twice at a time gives you some different options as you're putting that roster together. So the value to me comes from the practice, I guess, of going through the problem solving of what happens if I don't have speed early? What happens if I don't get an ace in the first couple of rounds? You know, what happens if I'm chasing power? What happens if I don't have a second baseman? You want to answer as many of those questions as you can ahead of time. So for me, going through actual drafts, whether it's a mock or even a draft and hold or a best ball, that's the best way for me to do it. Some people can just absorb ADP and decide to, to work with that. But I learned by doing. Learn by doing the Derek Van Riper story, 2021. So that means ADP is important to you then. It's a very important guideline. Yeah, but I, I use it more for leverage to understand what the market or my opponents want to do more than a guide of what I should do. Okay, that's what I figured. That makes more sense. Is there one person or entity besides yourself that you trust for fantasy advice above all others? You mentioned Vlad Sedler. I would say if, if my, if my well-being hinged on a draft day decision, He's probably at the top of my list as far as someone I would um, I would call and say, "Hey, Vlad, you know I, I'm I'm in a life-threatening situation. What do I do with this pick? I trust Vlad to get it right as much as anybody, so I, I think I'd go to him." 
Yeah, he's going to be on the show in about 10 days or so. So we're really looking forward to talking to him. And that is not the first time somebody has said, I go to Vlad. That was what Alex Chamberlain said. Uh, people who know what they're talking about, like yourself and Alex and others, Vlad is a really well-respected dude. So we're looking forward to having him on so we could pick his brain to find out why. Why are so many people fascinated by what he has to say about fantasy baseball? What about current gaps in our knowledge overall? What is there a gap you see for the fantasy baseball community in terms of understanding the game and advancing our understanding and our efficiency, uh, analytics, anything, one gap in there that you notice, or are we really almost really covering the, everything we need to be covering at this time? I think there's, um, there's a flaw in our collective analysis in that I think as a group, we're a little bit too glued to projections as truth, and we're not necessarily as individuals great at projecting playing time. That's where the edge is right now. If you can predict playing time accurately, you have an edge because projections are great. Whether you like the bat, you like steamer, you like baseball HQ's projections, they're all very good sets of projections. You like ATC? Great. Use ATC. If you can't adjust those projections yourself, if you can't accurately figure out where the projections are steering you wrong, you're going to build a middle-to-pack team because you're building a team the exact same way as everybody else in the room. So for me, the edge comes from playing time, and that's where I think, as a group, we still have the most work to do. That is beautiful. See, that's the kind of answer I wanted. Thank you. You So far, you're knocking it out of the park, but it's not over yet. not over. <laughs> is there three statistical tools, stats that you rely on more than any others in terms of, like, I guess stats – and whether they're advanced or classic, three that stand out for hitting or pitching, doesn't matter. K rates for hitters and pitchers are huge for me. I, I want to know how often pitchers are striking guys out, and I want to know how often hitters are putting the ball in play. So that's a big one. Uh, I would say for hitter, barrel rates are really important because you're just looking for well-struck balls. And I realize like you can get into blast rate and some things that are even more specific, and those are great tools to have too. Uh, but just if I'm looking at a glance, Give me a barrel rate because that to me is generally going to line up with the kind of hitter that I want to have on my team. There are some great barrel rate guys who are terrible probably because they hit a million fly balls and are really slow and defenses can play them a certain way. Maybe they pull everything, but usually that's not going to let me down. I would say the other thing I want, walk rates. And it applies to hitters and pitchers, but for pitchers, I'll combine K minus BB and say K minus BB percentage. If I only had one number to go off of for pitcher skills, that's probably the number that I would want to have to build rankings off of. You know, it's interesting about that, though. We had Ryan Bloomfield on earlier this week, and he said, when it comes to Roto Leagues, we shouldn't be focusing on walk rates so much because they're not going to be as valuable. You know, you could get on base, like he said, Kevin Biggio was an example. He could get steals from that, but otherwise, you're not getting any value from that. What do you think of that? Do you think that makes sense? or? I think what it does, it, so it's, it's another kind of, problem in our collective analysis uh, i would say like tim anderson is a player that i've been wrong about for a couple of years and the reason i think i was wrong about tim anderson was because for all these things he was doing well i kept getting glued to this problem that he doesn't walk enough it's like well it doesn't matter if he's got 20 home run power and 20 steel speed and he puts the ball in play enough the low enough k rate 20 ish percent k rate i don't care that he walks three percent of the time instead of seven percent of the time he plays shortstop. He's not losing playing time because he doesn't walk. Maybe he's a little lower in the batting order, 
but there's way more good in that profile than bad. So I see where Bloomfield's coming from. Talk about another smart. I mean, there's a dozen at least very smart people. Like if I had a specific question, Bloomfield would be on the list of people I'd call. Uh, Ian Khan for a trade, Fred Zinke for trades. Man, there's there's so many people. Like I'm, I'm lucky I don't have to rely on one person for <laughs> advice if I seek counsel. There's so many bright people in this industry that can help us out. You do a podcast with one of the brightest, right? I mean, I got a pitching question. Yeah, I mean, I talk to Eno a lot, um, <laughs> so I'd probably go to him with a very specific pitching question if I wanted someone to break something down. Exactly. Well, I, think, I think like this, it, it helps that we watch these games as well, because a guy like Tim Anderson, you watch him, you're like, yeah, that's a ball player who's going to produce for me. DJ LeMay, who's another guy where like his barrel percentage is terrible and he doesn't hit the ball very hard, but he'll bet 330 for you every year and hit 20 home runs. So it's just seeing what these guys can actually do as major league players without just looking way too deep into their numbers and simpling it down and just going towards those normal five by five cats and say, oh, well, this is what this guy can do for me. Don't be married to anything so much that you can't get a divorce and start fresh. Everybody deserves a second chance, including stats. Is there something about Eno that we don't know that you could tell us? There's <laughs> uh, a job uh, interview here, yeah. Where, we, where do you see yourself in five years? I mean, Eno loves to sing, but that gets through on the pod, so I guess people know that. It doesn't come through yeah. all the time because sometimes it's before the show begins, but he, he, was, he was dropping some Weezer earlier this week. so Yeah, yeah, <laughs> saw that. Yeah, you, uh, you're like, wow, there's a bunch more Weezer, Weezer albums than I was aware of. I was blown <laughs> away at how much bigger the discography really was. They so, put out an album like every year. It's just no one listens to them unless you're like <laughs> 22, I guess. I don't know. I just I hear a single here and there, and I'm like, okay, Weezer dropped a new album. Okay, first one in five years, maybe? Nope. Yeah, that's you're like you mm. said, it's like one a year. That Beverly Hills song, that was so awful. I, I still think of it. When I think of modern Weezer, I think Beverly Hills. That's when that's it was over. Wanna be. You know, it's, it, Weezer comes up a lot on our pod. I don't know why. <sighs> because Children people are baffled. 90s, it, you know? Just like a great hitter or pitcher that baffles other players, Weezer baffles America. <laughs> uh, but I think Eno probably deserves credit because he understands hitting just as well as pitching, doesn't he? Because he, all we, people ever talk about is his pitching analysis, but he understands hitting too, right? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, nobody funny, ever says yeah. that anymore. Hey, you know, you know what Eno said about a hitter. I want to know what Eno says about hitters. That's what I'm curious about. So. They they say that with uh, with Spore too. For years, it was because he had the pitcher guide. It was like, oh, well, Paul knows about pitching. It's like, well, he understands hitting too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's the other side of the coin. I he knows to put. He knows how to put on his pants and his shirt. Yes. Wow, amazing! Isn't that incredible? Uh, so what is the value of projection systems to you? You kind of were alluding to that, like they get overhyped. Yeah, I mean, I like them because they're they're going to help me find my own blind spots and they're going to give me a lot of insight into what the market's going to do, a lot like ADP. I mean, if I can look at a set of projections and if I know most people in the room are going to just lean heavily on those projections for their values, all I got to do is run the Fangraphs auction calculator or run some draft software and now I've got a cheat sheet that basically tells me what the whole room wants to bid on a player. That's pretty valuable. So uh, I, I love projections. There's nothing wrong with them at all. I just think we have to understand that they have limitations and we have to try and break them as much as we can. Beautiful. And what about the 2020 season going into 21? How are you viewing pitching and innings pitched? Do you have a concept laid out? I mean, we are all in the dark here in this. We're all trying to feel our way through it because we just don't know how it'll play out. But do you think you have a sense or give us your best guess on how you're viewing it? 
I think teams are going to try and do some pretty clever things uh, with either six-man rotations or some tandems or skipping some guys when the schedule allows them to do it. Uh, we're going to have some late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s workhorses who just do what they normally do. But I think for young up-and-coming pitchers especially, for guys who are coming back from Tommy John, we're going to see workload restrictions that are a lot different than we've seen in the past. So for me, I don't have a, a catch-all sort of rule that I'm applying to the pitching pool as a whole, but I'm hyper-aware of you know the Angels with Otani going to six-man rotation, the Mariners talking about a six-man rotation, maybe even the Padres throwing one out there to begin the season. Like I'm just looking for those cues from teams that will give me an idea that they're going to do something different because I think they're going to all have to try and figure it out as they go uh, if they don't have a good plan going in, which, frankly, other than the Rockies, I think every team has a plan going in. Do you have a favorite format to play in? 15-team mixed leagues. Um, auctions, though, over drafts. I, I am a better auction player than a snake draft player, at least based on results to this point in my life. Here, we got to do a baseball auction. I really want to do one. I've, I've, I've done football. One. I've never been in one. Yeah, I've, I've never done one either. I've done I've football, but never done the, baseball. I've been the most successful in football in auction drafts. And I haven't, I haven't done one in years. Uh, maybe this is the year, Mike. We do it. Yeah, again. I think we we're going to do a Palazzo auction draft because, or like a league, because I've never done one, and I really want to get in on it because I find it to be more advantageous for many, many, many reasons, which uh, we won't dive into right now. But it does have its benefits. Um, I covered that. Uh, of all the old school stats, is there one that you still rely on more than any? Still has value to you? Uh, Homers. <laughs> I mean. There's, there's still a big part of our game. Nobody you know, said that. You're the first to say that. <laughs> Homers are cool. <laughs> yeah. What does everybody the, else say? They were like digging deep. I think they overthought it. I, I think Homers is just really the easy answer. Somebody said... Um, we've been talking about how runs are underrated. Yeah, last time was runs. ERA. Yeah, we've had those answers. Um, somebody said whip, but that was borderline new school. So we didn't... <laughs> you know. But at this point... There's so many new stats now. Whip does seem like it's old school. So. It does, yeah. It's kind of a, a 2.0. It's like the SNES of, of baseball stats. <laughs> That's a great, great, great comparison. Uh, and finally, um, ranking minutia, rankings. Do you find it exhausting? Do you find it necessary? Is it that big a deal if one guy is two spots ahead of another dude? Like we were talking earlier with Flaherty and Scherzer and all that jazz. It doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't. And But people still, love looking at them, like I, outsiders. And I still obsess over it. I, I spend more time on rankings than I probably should. And I think it is because of people being willing to pay to read them and people caring and, and just wanting to make sure that you've thought through as many of the possible scenarios as you can. But you'd take a lifetime to do a completely thorough, perfectly vetted set of rankings. If you're really, truly honest about it, if you put every player up against the rest of the pool, you wouldn't get your rankings done in time for the season. The season would start, and you'd be a quarter of the way done. So I think the key for, for me and other people out there that obsess, be a little less type A about it. It's, it doesn't have to be perfect between the lines. Like There's, there's definitely some, some nuance between players within a set of rankings. Okay, there it is. Great. We got inside the fantasy process of Derek Van Riper. It's been a great success. Woohoo! Oh, Woohoo! Oh, I pressed the wrong button. I always do that. Man, I got too many buttons, I'll tell you. So there it is, Derek Van Riper. If you want to know how he looks at fantasy, if you didn't know before, if this is your first time hearing him for some reason, which is probably not the case, 
Now you know. Okay, this is usually my favorite part of the show. It's time for Shine or Ride the Pine. We're going to give you a projection, and you're going to say, Shine, you're taking it. Like if I give you 38 home runs for Albert Pujols, (laughs) you're going to say, Ride the Pine. Not taking that, most likely. Or maybe you are. Maybe maybe you know something I don't know about Albert Pujols, but probably not. Makes sense to you, Derek? Yep. We're going to use uh, ATC projections. Ariel Cohen's projections have come out. They're now available. So uh, he's going to be on the show next week, by the way. We're very excited. I've never uh, got a chance to meet him or, or really engage with him, so we're going to be very, very excited to get inside his brain. It's a very, very impressive brain. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right. First one off the board, right off the bat. 2021, Mike Trout. Seven steals or more. I think he's over seven. So I guess that's a, that's a ride the pine if you're saying it's only seven. I think oh, you're going to shine. Five. You're shining it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think seven's too many. So I guess that's a shine. Yeah. So you're going over. All right. Cool. Deary, what about you? Yeah, he'll hit double digits. Good for 10 or 11. Okay. Uh, Nolan Arenado, we talked about him earlier. We don't know where he may be somewhere different, but without that knowledge, could we expect a 9.1% or higher walk percentage, Derek? I don't even think about his walk rate. This goes into the Bloomfield point. Like I've never, I've literally never thought about Nolan Arenado's walk rate. I just wanted to put the damn ball in play. In that park, I he's I mean he's over. Do you want to know his career walk percentage? I'd say he's over nine percent in four of the last five seasons. So I'd say it's shy. I think he's over nine percent. <laughs> you did it. See, look, it wasn't that hard. Deary, what about you? Sure. <laughs> well, no, it's it's just like Derek. I I've never thought about whether he walks or not. I just look at those power numbers, the average, how hard he's killing the ball. No one ever thinks about whether he walks or not, but. It's okay. It's 9%. Weird. Isn't that strange? Okay. Adam Wainwright, he just signed another deal to come back for one more season. He's still going at 39 years old. Will he have a 71.4% or higher left on base percentage? 71 point, <laughs> 71% or higher left on base percentage for Adam Wainwright. <laughs> I'll say he's going to be above that. So we'll shine that one. Wow. Okay. Uh, Deary? I got to bring it back. Remember how last year I'd do all those crazy scenarios? Yeah. So he's not going to pitch very many innings this year. I mean, most projections have him around 135 to 150. But I think he's only going to pitch around 100 innings. He's going to have a couple really just big blow-up innings where he can't get guys out when other guys are on base. So I'm going to go under. He has a career 74% left on base percentage. So we'll see one of you are going to be right. One of you will be wrong. Eddie Rosario, as far as we know, as of this taping, has not signed a deal. And we don't know where he will play. So this could be difficult, Derek. But based on the assumption he will play somewhere and get at bats in 2021, based on that assumption, can we expect 29 home runs or more from Eddie Rosario this year? I'd say it's Pine. I mean, he's a nice player. Probably going to get you 24 or 25, but has to end up in a hitter-friendly environment to get to that 29. Yeah, that 29 does seem a little bit high. Deary, what about you? I'd say no way. Uh, Ride the Pine on that one. I'm not a big Rosario fan. Although he's put up a couple really nice years, 29 seems like a lot. His career high was in 2019. 
32. 32, that's right. Uh, Matt Moore. I don't know if you guys heard, but Matt Moore is back in the bigs. Did you guys hear that? Philly. He's, yeah, he's back with, in the majors with Philadelphia after, uh, I believe he played in Japan last year, right? Yep. And he had a nice little season over there. So now that he's back, can we expect 14 or more starts from him in 2021, Derek? say pine i want him to make more than 14 starts but he's had a lot of issues staying healthy over the years hmm. deary this poor guy i feel so bad for him everybody signed with the tigers in 2019 and pitched 10 innings before uh everything <laughs> blew up and then he uh wasn't here last year it's too bad i mean he hasn't been healthy since what 2013 uh well no 2016 in 17, he was pretty healthy, but he didn't look very good at all. Um, I don't. I, 14 starts, that seems like a lot. I don't even know if he'll pitch in 14 games. <laughs> he hasn't clipped 14 games started since 2017 when he had 31 for the Giants, but he also had a 552 ERA, so you might not be interested in that. Steven Matz was traded from New York. He is now a Blue Jay, so he's going to get a chance to start. ATC, ATC says yes. Can I get an 8.99 or higher K9 from Matt's this season, Derek? Basically a uh, 9 or higher. Uh, I'm going to say a ride the pine on this one. Just a, not by a lot, but I, I'm not a big Matt's guy. I think the only way he does that is if he becomes a full-time reliever. And I think he's getting to the point in his career where maybe more of a two-pitch guy, give him a little velocity bump in the bullpen, maybe he could have a Drew Pomeranz-esque jump. I don't know if he has a secondary that's as good as Pomerantz's curveball, though, so I'm under. Deary? Yeah, I don't like the division. He's been over 8-9-9 once in his career, and that was in 30 innings in 2020, so he's more of kind of a 7.5 to 8.5 guy, so I'll go ride the pine. <sighs> Darn it. And a guy we talked about earlier, Jock Peterson, who's on with the Cubs. Projections as of today. I don't know if uh, they were updated or not, but this is the current projection regardless of where he was. Can we expect Jock Peterson to have a K percentage of 23% or less? I'd say we could probably shine that. I mean, it's not it's not way off from where he's been for his career. We saw three years under that prior to the shortened season, so I'll lean on that more recent track record. Deary? That number's right on. Uh, flip a coin, sure. I'll go I'll go shine. I'll root for Jack Peterson. He's got a cool name. <laughs> Trevor Bauer, Cy Young winner in 2020. That's right. Still hasn't signed. Could be signed by anybody. We have no idea. Probably not the Angels, though, based on the information we have with him and Mickey Calloway not being so tight. But in 2021, can we expect Trevor Bauer to give us 199 innings pitched, Derek? anyone is a good bet for innings to Bauer. So I'll, I'll say shine because I think that's his best skill as a pitcher. There's a lot of other stuff in his profile that I'm not as comfortable buying into. I think he misses bats as a legitimate skill. That's pretty clear at this point. Four years running with a double digit K per nine. But his third best skill is giving up homers. Like he, he owns that. <laughs> so anyway, without going down the why I don't like Trevor Bauer as much as everybody else seems to I do think the innings will be there, so I'll say shine on that. Oh, by the way, I'm on that. Uh, can I join that bandwagon, too? Because last year, I actually loved him, and I was and all for the Cy Young season, but this year, I'm out. So. 
I was out even last year when the price wasn't that bad, so there's no way yeah. I could be in with the increased price. <laughs> I, I did a bet with Matt Williams on who would be the higher finisher in the Rasball Player Raider, uh, Glasnow or Bauer, and that wasn't even close, so I won that one, but I don't want to do the Bauer dance this year. Uh, Deary, what about you? 199 innings pitch. Yeah, I think he'll do that. Oh, okay, wow. I mean, that's the thing you can expect from Bauer, as most yeah, people say. He'll grab those innings. I I don't think he's going to come out and have a two and a half ERA or anything like it was last year in seventy three innings. I think it's closer to a three and a half to four. This is an interesting one. Wander Franco. He's being drafted like people are expecting him to come up and contribute in twenty twenty one. I think it's still very very cloudy on that. However, Derek, can we expect three hundred and seventeen plate appearances from Wander Franco in twenty twenty one? Yeah, let's shine it. I think he's up probably around May. I think they're going to give him a shot at double A. He'll crush there for a couple of weeks, get to triple A, crush there for a couple of weeks, and then he's an upgrade for this lineup. Like, for all the things the Rays do well, that lineup struck out too much. We talked about it a lot in the postseason. He takes a lot of the swing and miss out of that lineup as an elite hit tool sort of player. Even if the power is a couple of years away, from being there. He's the kind of guy that could be an impact bat from the jump. So I'm over on 317. Wow, okay. I was not expecting that. Deary? Yeah, that K rate in rookie ball, A ball, and A plus is just is it's like heroic. It's seven percent, seven point four, six point seven. And I think if the Rays, you know, this is a great point that Derek made. If the Rays want to compete in a division that's gotten better with like the Blue Jays, and you know, the, now that the Yankees are making moves with some pitching, they're gonna need a bat that can get on base and give you uh, you know some some good hits so uh i think Wander franco my, my hope is they bring him up he's only 20 he will be 20 years old i believe by the start of uh the season so i really hope that they do bring him up so i'll go shine as well i want to see it happen more than anything and then finally dylan moore always highly discussed we promised we would talk about him on the pod so here it is can we expect dylan moore to give us 511 pas or more I'm not, uh, so I'm putting that one on the pine. I think the downside with Dylan Moore is part-time player, and he has options left. He's legitimately, yeah, he does have options left. He's legitimately capable of ending up at AAA, uh, which is weird to say about a guy that's shown a nice mix of power and speed so far, but we're talking about a career 31% K rate. He's only been 6% better than league average thus far, and there are a lot of younger players in this organization that could push him for that job at second base. So this, as good as it looks on paper from a fantasy perspective, has the makings of becoming a playing time disaster. Deary. I don't like Dylan Moore. I, I just don't like him. Uh, I, I think his, his 206 and 113 games in 19 is more of what he is compared to his amazing six-week stretch he had last year. Uh, you know, the, the barrel rate just wasn't there. Hard hit rate is not there at all. He crushed the fastball in 20, but he just didn't in 19. Low average for medium power. I mean, I guess the stolen bases are there, but I, I, I'm not a big Dylan Moore fan. And uh, I think Derek brought up a great point about him end up being uh, in AAA if it really kind of goes to hell for him. So I'm going to say ride the pine. Yeah, I know there's people that are really on him, but boy, we don't know that for sure. It's a fluky situation. So we'll see. That's why we do this. And at the end of the year, we can go back and review the bottom lines from all of you. There it is. Shine or ride the pine is in the books. Uh, that's it. We've done a hell of a show already. I think we can call this one uh, a show. 
and put it in the bag. Uh, we didn't really get any tweets or emails, which uh, I apologize. I tried to put the word out, but sometimes they don't come through. And some hosts might say, hey, say nothing about it. But no, we didn't get any tweets or emails. <laughs> hey, shit happens. Anyways, uh, it's been really great having you on, Derek. You're, uh, you're really smooth. You're laid back. You can take just about anything we threw at you and... You did it in stride, man. So I want to say uh, kudos to you. Well done. Really enjoyed having you on. Uh, let people know where they can find you and what's coming up for you maybe over the next six weeks or so. Sure, yeah, on Twitter, at Derek Van Riper. Uh, you can see my rankings at The Athletic. New set goes up on Monday the 1st, so that'll be a pretty big update since the last ones came out prior to the new year. It's been a little while. Some stuff's actually happened. Podcasts, we've got Rates and Barrels, The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and Fantasy Baseball in 15. All three of those shows go into regular season mode for the first week of February. So it's a oh. crazy amount of podcasting coming your way if uh, if you're into that. If you listen to this show, you're probably into podcast, right? So you know maybe <laughs> you'll like some of the shows I'm on. Yeah, the party's over for you, man. Yeah, I, We had Al Melchior on back in November, and uh, he's great. I love Al. It's cool that you, you get to do shows with some of the best people in the biz. So you're a lucky dude. I'm very lucky. I've and prior to working at the Athletic, I worked with great people over at RotoWire too. So, I have not had bad teammates as a full timer in this industry. Very, very lucky to even be a full timer, but to work with good people as well. Fantastic, uh, Deary. Tell people where they can find you and uh, what they can expect from you over the next uh, week, two weeks, or month, year, seven months, ten years. I don't. <laughs> yeah, see, Deary, ninety nine. I don't look that far into the future, Mike. I'm kind of a day by day, hour by hour guy. Uh, right moment. now, right now, I'm working on my second base rankings, and I'm work trying to work through all thirty teams and giving a fancy breakdown of kind of the sleepers and best guys to go after. And I'm starting from the bottom, so I'm still kind of working on the Pirates right now. I'm thinking about just skipping the Pirates and moving on to the Tigers, but uh, I, I I committed myself to the Pirates, so that that should be released here in the next couple of days. There it is, of course, at Palazzo Podcast on Twitter, Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com, two L's, two Z's, of course. Give me two. And we'd love connecting with you. Please share your thoughts with us. Tell us what you want to hear on the show. We'll ask the questions. If you give us a question or anything, we'll ask it to the people who are coming on the show. We got more guests coming up Ben Palmer, Ariel Cohen, Doug Ishikawa, Paul Spore next week, Justin Mason. I mean, we got some big-time players. So if you want to ask them anything, even beyond fantasy baseball, I will ask it. I have no fear. We're not afraid. I'm at MJ Gobia on Twitter. Hit me up. Ask me any questions. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Derek. And uh, Godspeed, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.